This is Jeff Billard from the Amigos Audio Collective, thanking you for listening to the Mutual Audio Network. The following audio drama is rated PG for parental guidance. Sonic Echo. Well, welcome back, everyone, to Sonic Echo. It's been a long hiatus. I don't know why it's been so long, but I'm just happy we're back. Of course, I'm here with Jeff Billard, who I know for a fact has been described as cute as a bug's ear. Hello, brother Jeff. <laughs> yes, hello, Jack. It's so nice to hear your voice again and uh, be back with Sonic Echo. Uh, yes, exactly. And we're also here along with someone whose knees have been examined for dimples at one time, <laughs> Lothar Tuppen. Howdy, brother Lothar. I just want to know why there aren't any whiskey sours here, and that'll come into play later. Ooh, yeah, for no sure. whiskey sours. Oh, boy. <laughs> and I'm a heel, but a rather likable one, Jack Ward. And this week we look into Murder My Sweet from Lux Radio Theater's original air date, November 6th, 1945. On CBS, which stars Dick Powell, which is one of the reasons this adaptation of the Roman Chandler's novel Farewell, My Lovely, was renamed for the U.S. market to prevent audiences mistaking it for the musical by which Powell was already famous. I had no idea about that. No. Did you guys know anything? No, about I knew that. I knew that they changed it because they thought it would sound like a musical. Gotcha. And uh, yes, because he is a, a, a song and dance man himself. Right. We, we don't want it to get too deep into it until we listen to it. But what what are your initial uh, things you'd like to lead off with. Let's start with Lothar, since I introduced Jeff um, first. Sure. I'll have more to say on the other side, which I don't want to uh, uh, obviously give away. But I think it's interesting, the the humor in here. Listen for some of the humor mm-hmm. that's coming through, which might be a little bit lighter than in some other adaptations. And um, pay attention to the uh, audience presence, because I think that makes this very different than, than another yes. type of show. Totally agree. All right, Jeff, what do you think? Well, I totally agree also. And the I loved it. I, I, I you, you sent it to us about a year ago, right? And I listened to it then mm-hmm. and loved it. I especially love the guy who plays Moose. Yeah, yeah. and he, he plays it in the movie too. Yeah, yeah. All, all of the and people it, pretty much are the same people in the movie, which was great. Yeah, and I just, I loved his voice and I loved his delivery and and Mike um, I looked him up and I, I recognized his I recognized his face, you know, playing character actors in tons of movies and stuff. Um, but I thought he was fantastic, and I thought the whole thing was great. I thought Dick Powell was 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 excellent. Um, and like Lothar said, the humor is uh, is great in the repartee, and and you know we we talk a lot about narration, and and I'm not a big fan of narration, but I do like. First-person narration in a noir or, you know, one of these types of shows. I, I just think it just fits and it just um, – so I loved it. I absolutely loved it. I thought the acting was great and the audience was great. And especially there's a few times where I liked it because they flub up a little bit, but they just keep on going. Yep. Yep. You know, Dick Powell has about three or four places where he kind of <laughs> talks over himself a little bit. 
Yeah, but they just keep going, and I just thought it was fantastic. Yeah, the, great the ben- choice. The benefit of a live show is is that <laughs> yeah. you, you get those as well. Yeah, Mike Mazurki, the guy you're talking about, he, we can talk more about him. But he started off as a professional wrestler, so he right? yeah. <laughs> he was a I tough guy to begin <laughs> with, and then came in yeah. and did all the tough roles afterwards. What a what a life of shows! If you ever look at his IMDb, which I know you did, it's oh, crazy. Huge. Sure, and he's you and he's you he's Ukrainian as well. Yes, you're right. He's Ukrainian American. Yeah, I would love. I can't wait to talk to you guys about this because I struggle with the writing. Uh, in the Philip Marlowe stories, because I'm so plot-driven stuff, I get lost so easy in the complex stories. But the truth of the matter is, is honestly, afterwards, I usually don't care because I love every other aspect of that's pretty much That's pretty much the standard response from a lot of people, is you don't read Chandler for the plots. Okay. You read them for everything else that he brings okay. to it. Okay. Especially oh, okay. because this was this was three well, stories sense. that he had written short stories that he combined elements of to bring them all together into the novel. We'll, we can talk more about that on the other side. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, did you finish the novel? Because that's one of the reasons why we did put our, our stuff oh, yeah, on I've, hiatus. I, I know you wanted yeah, to go back. Yeah, I, I finished it a, a, a long time ago, and then, you know, just life got in the way for all of us. Um, but yeah, yeah, I will, I will <laughs> be bringing a lot of stuff in from the novel because even though it isn't uh, reflected in the audio drama, uh, it does play into the larger themes that we're talking about, so I think they're worth bringing up. And it'd be worthwhile to sort of point out what's different in the audio drama, the movie, which they cut stuff out as well, because I've seen the movie, and then and and the novel, and to see how, you know, which parts were used and which weren't. It probably goes back to what Lothar said, that um, I had to listen to it. I mean, if you listen to it just for enjoyment, it's no problem, but... I, you know, listening to it a number of times to to talk, be able to talk about it, there are a lot of characters. Yeah, and um, I thought, and so it, it would be easy. I had to go back and like make notes. Okay, who's this guy? Who's this? Who's this? And just to make sure I knew who I was talking about. But yeah, I loved it. Absolutely loved it. Listen for all those things, dear listeners and friends of ours. Please listen for as as Lothar was saying. Check out what the audience says and 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 how they add to the performance and how they might change what might be a a darker tale. And uh, we'll find you on the other side. Mm -hmm. Lux presents Hollywood. The Lux Radio Theater brings you Dick Powell, Claire Trevor, June Dupre, and Mike Mazurki in... Murder, my sweet. Ladies and gentlemen, your guest producer, Mr. Irving Pitchell. Greetings from Hollywood, ladies and gentlemen. In answer to the proverb that a leopard cannot change its spots, we bring you tonight a gentleman who turns his back on many years of light and frothy roles by which he climbed to stardom, and takes the part of a ruthless, hard-as-nails detective in a drama as relentless as the crimes that it unfolds. He's Dick Powell, hailed so enthusiastically as Philip Marlowe in RKO's sensational success, Murder, My Sweet. Co-starred with him in her screen role as the fatal and mysterious Helen is Claire Trevor, also June Dupre, whose natural loveliness would lead us to expect a touch of romance in our play. And towering above our microphones is Mike Mazurki, is the quietly alarming Moose Malloy. 
Four characters of widely different natures and conflicting motives involved in one of the screen's most baffling and complex mysteries, a story that in its published form was one of the best-selling thrillers of our time. Most of the action of Murder, My Sweet takes place right here in Hollywood, not too far from our stage. If you saw the picture, you've seen many Hollywood sights from Malibu Beach to Sunset Towers, from the skyline of Los Angeles to the canyons of our hills. Landmarks as native to Hollywood as the radio and motion picture studios from which these dramas come. In fact, the name Lux on the outside of our theater is, I venture to say, as familiar a landmark in this capital of entertainment as Lux Soap itself is familiar in the dressing rooms of screen scar stars. A standard of complexion care from coast to coast, Lux Toilet Soap is a friendly link between your home and Hollywood. And now, we take you to the downtown section of our city and the first act of Murder, My Sweet, starring Dick Powell as Philip Marlowe, Claire Trevor as Helen, June Dupre as Anne, and Mike Mazurki as Moose Malloy. When you got something to say, start at the beginning. Okay. It's 7 o'clock at night, and I'm in a 2 by 4 coupe I call my office. I sit at my desk and look at the sign on the door. Philip Marlowe, it says. Philip Marlowe, private investigator. That's a nice title for somebody you go to see when you don't want to see the law. I was tired out. I'd been out peeking under old Sunday sections for a barber named Dominic, whose wife wanted him back. I forget why. Anyway, I didn't find him, and the only reason I took the job was because my bank account was trying to crawl under a duck. I just found out all over again how big Los Angeles is. My brain felt like a plumber's handkerchief. I took out my little black book and decided to go grouse hunting. Nothing like soft shoulders to improve my morale. I'm dialing a number when the door opens and he walks in. The mountain that walks like a man. The biggest mug I ever saw outside of a sideshow. You, Marlowe? Yeah? I seen your name downstairs. They had the names that was in the building. You're a private eye, huh? That's right. I'd like you to look for somebody. I'm closed up, pal. I looked for her where she worked, but I've been out of touch. Come around tomorrow, we'll talk about it. I think maybe we should do it now. Let go of me, you big ape. I don't mean to do nothing. Here, I'll give you some dough. You come with me. Okay. Okay, I come with you. It ain't far. A cafe on Central Avenue. We can pick up a cab. The place was called Florian's. It looked like trouble, but that didn't bother me. The 220s, the big lug had dropped, felt nice and snug against my appendix. I tried to figure out who he was looking for. I tried to picture him in love with somebody, but it didn't work. They changed this place a lot. There used to be a stage and some boots. Lattice work and pink flowers. She was cute like a bug's ear. A redhead. Eight years since I've seen her. Six years she didn't write. But she'll have a reason. Yeah, yeah, she'll have a reason. What did you do here, singer? Yeah. Let's you and me nibble a couple. Hey, Jack. Yeah? Whiskey. Hey, boss, he's here again. He said you're here again. Yeah. I came in before. I tried to find her. Now, look, big boy, I told you once I'm sorry about your girl, but she ain't here. Her name is Velma. You never heard of Velma, Mr. Florian? She used to work here. You better drink up, Joe. That lady at the end of the bar. Maybe she knows. I have to request you don't bother the customers, see? Lady... You remember a girl used to work here? Her name was Velma. You talking to me? I said, leave the customers alone. So far, you rate me polite, huh? 
I don't bother you none. Swallow your drink and get out of here. Get out of my way. Come on, pal. Eight years is a lot of gin. They don't know anything about Velma here. Some guys has the wrong idea when it gets fancy. The boss was no lightweight, but Moose picked him up like a rag doll and dropped him in the corner pocket. Moose seemed a little dazed as he walked out, and I tagged after him down the street. That guy in there, he shouldn't have talked to me like that. Sure, sure, pal. What's the next stop? Who asked you to stick your face in? Remember me? I'm the detective you hired, Chunky. Oh, the name is Moose. Cut him, I'm large. Moose Malloy. That place ain't like it used to be. There used to be a stage and some boots. You said that. Maybe I told you too much. Maybe I... Let go my arm. Huh? We was to be married, me and Velma. Where you figure I've been them eight years I said about? Catching butterflies. San Quentin I've been. Look, you find Velma for me, huh? Has she got a last name? Velma Valento. Now you beat it. Sure, sure. How do I get in touch with you? I get in touch with you. Tomorrow, maybe. So tomorrow comes, and I'm thinking about Moose Malloy and that bucket of mud look on the face of the boss and Florian's when I hear footsteps coming my way down the hall. Moose was coming back, except it wasn't Moose. It was another new customer. Good-looking guy, well-dressed, like a movie star. Mr. Marlowe, my name is Marion. Come in, come in. Who put in the pitch for me, Mr. Marion? Pitch? Oh, and no one, no one. I, I saw your name in the classified section of the phone book. I'm in a clutch at the moment, Mr. Marriott. You're what? I'm busy. I couldn't take on anything big. What have you got in mind? I'd like your services tonight, for just a few hours. I'm meeting some men. I, I'm paying them some money. How much money and what for? I can't go into that. I've simply agreed to serve as the bearer of the money. Oh, just want me to go along and hold your hand. I'm afraid I don't like your manner. Yeah, I've had complaints before, but it keeps getting worse. How much are you offering me for doing nothing? I hadn't got around to thinking about it. You suppose you could get around to thinking about it now? How would you like a swift punch on the nose? Oh, dear, I tremble at the thought of such violence. I, uh, I'll give you a hundred dollars. If that isn't enough, say it's so. It's enough, it's enough. This is all I can tell you. Some jewels were taken from a friend of mine in a holdup. I'm buying them back tonight. Where? I'm to drive my car to a rather secluded canyon near Malibu. Uh-huh. We drive out there to buy back some jewelry for a lady friend. I didn't say that. Chances are that these men, whoever they are, don't intend roughing you up if you play a ball. But they wouldn't like you being twins. Now, one of us might get hurt. No, Mr. Marriott, I'm afraid I can't do anything for you. I see. But I'll take your hundred bucks and tag along for the ride. One more thing. Yes? I carry the shopping money and I do the driving. Very well. We drove down that night. Somehow I knew we were being watched. I didn't see anything. The fog was a nice dish of puree St. Germain. I felt it coming. I was a toad on a wet rock and a snake was looking down my neck. Slow down. We're getting near the spot. Shh, quiet. There should be some white posts along the road. Pull in your head. In back of the white post, there's the path. The path goes down into a hollow. That's where we're to wait. Hey, hey, look. Huh? White posts. All right, stop the car. Now, you sit tight, and I'll go down and have a look-see. Have you got a flashlight? Yeah. Don't be more than a couple of minutes. There's nobody here, Marriott. This whole setup looks like a tryout, seeing if you obey orders. Let's pull around the corner and...
I caught the blackjack right behind my ear, and a black pool opened up at my feet. I dived in. It had no bottom. I uh, felt pretty good, just like an amputated leg. I don't know how much time went by. I forgot to look at my watch. But as I came to, I started to call for Marriott. Marriott. Marriott! Are you all right? What happened? Well, who, who are you? Oh. Hey, come back here. Come back here. Hello? Hello? Police headquarters. Let me talk to Randall, Inspector Randall. One moment, please. Inspector Randall? Randall, this is Marlowe. Marlowe? Oh, yeah? Yeah, look. I'm at a gas station down near Malibu, the foot of Woodbridge. So? You better get on here. A guy named Marriott's just been knocked off, beaten to death with a blackjack. I told you a dozen times what happened. I'd like you to tell me again, here in my big, comfortable office. Who killed Marriott? An amateur killed him, or somebody who wanted it to look like an amateur. Nobody else would hit a man that many times with a saddle. Ah, the oftener you go over it, the sillier it sounds. I'd sooner dig eggshells out of a garbage can than information out of you. Oh, I get it. You don't like me. Okay, I'll go home. Right after you start talking sense. For instance? For instance, you don't know anything about Marriott. You don't know how much money you were carrying. You don't know what it was supposed to buy back. Trusting soul, wasn't he? Now, where's the dough? Where? Well, right after I beat out Marriott's brains, and just before I hit myself on the top of the head, I hid the money under a bush. Uh, and that dame you claim you saw? Uh, she must have thought I was somebody else. She took one look and got out fast. Suppose a jewel outfit got the bright idea of using a private dick for contacts and uh, payoff. Oh, great, great. Now I'm a finger for a heist mob. Look. I'm trying to be helpful. I get up off the nice cold ground. I don't use the car because Marriott's still in it. I walk five miles just so you can be the first to hear the news. I wait for you at the beach and lead you straight to the body so you won't have to wait till next Christmas to find it. I tell you all I know, it sounds screwy. It is screwy, but it's all I know. Sure. Now I'm tired of your bum guesses. Either book me or let me go home. Milo, you'd slit your own throat for six bits, plus federal tax. Now look, Randall. Go on home and keep your big yap shut. One phony move and you'll be locked up as a material witness. Whoever killed Marriott, I'll get him. Yeah, you'll get him. About the time you get your third set of teeth. And stay away from Marriott's pals. I've been after those boys for a long time and I'm getting close. So watch your step or I may have to pick you up in the same basket with Jules Amthor. Yeah? Hey, is Jules Amthor mixed up in this? Oh, so you know Amthor. I know lots of people in this town, but I never heard of Jules Amthor. Bad guess, Inspector. Good night, Randall. And keep away from the newspapers. I'll do the talking. Well, I went back to my office the next day. I didn't want to be there because my head felt like a nest of rivets. One of my clients was dead, but the other one was still alive, Moose Malloy. And I figured he might be looking for me. Early in the afternoon, this kid walks in. Yeah, business is getting better and better. Prettier. My name is Ann Ellison, Mr. Marlowe. I'm a reporter from the Post. Oh, have a seat, Miss Elson. Police haven't been very helpful on the Marriott murder. I was wondering... There's a question I always ask. How did you know about me? Oh, friends at City Hall. Uh, tell me, did Marriott tell you who owned the jade he was buying back? No. No, he, he didn't. Had you known him long, Marriott? A couple of weeks. Why? Well, I just wondered if you had any theories about... about what happened or what was supposed to happen. Oh, I've, I've got a couple, uh... Say, this is a nice-looking purse. 
Just what do you mean by opening it? I'd like to prove another theory, that you're not a reporter. Why did dames carry so much stuff in a pocketbook? Give it to me. I was looking for a driver's license, but your bank book will do. And the name on this bank book isn't Allison at all. It's Grail. Anne Grail. Please. Oh, you're a hot rock, baby. I could toss you to the cops. Last night, all I could tell them was that Marriott was buying back some jewelry. You could knock their hats off of that line about the jade. Tell me, Miss Grail, have you ever known a girl named Velma Valento, a singer? I never heard of her in my life. Oh, well, it's just a shot in the dark. Besides, it's another case. I was just hoping. Who does that jade belong to? What's your interest in it? My interest? Well, Marriott gave me a hundred bucks to take care of him, and I didn't. I'm just a small businessman in a very messy business, but I like to follow through on a sale. The jade belongs to my father. Oh, I gathered from Marriott that the jade belonged to a lady. My father happens to be married. Oh, oh. Well, your mother was wearing it the night of the holdup. She's not my mother. My mother's dead. My father married again. Who sent you here to feel me out? It was my own brilliant idea. I saw your name in the newspaper. Well, before I talk to Inspector Randall, I think I'll have a talk with your father. And your father's wife. My car's downstairs. Except that I'm expecting to hear from somebody. Well, in that case, Mr. Marlowe... In that case, I'll go with you just the same. You're really a lot cuter than Moose Malloy. Come on, let's go. Before Dick Powell and his co-stars return with the second act of Murder, My Sweet... We take you to where there's a local war bond rally going on. And Mrs. White is curious about one of her fellow workers. Uh, Jean, stop here a minute, will you? Tell me, who is that attractive woman in charge of the next booth? Oh, that's Mrs. Jennings. Lovely looking, isn't she? Her daughter's a classmate of my Susie at college. Oh, now, Jean, don't tell me she's old enough to have a 20-year-old daughter. Well, she looks like a girl herself. It's her skin, I think. I've never seen her when her complexion didn't look like that. So soft and really fresh. Well, that's what a lovely luxe complexion does for a woman. Makes her look radiant, appealing. It's what you notice first about her appearance. That smooth, soft luxe complexion. Screen stars know how very important it is to have the charm of exquisite skin. That's why they're so careful never to take chances with complexion beauty. Here's what a famous star, Claudette Colbert, says. I never neglect my daily active lather facials with luxe soap. They're so easy and they work. Here's what I do. I cover my face generously with a creamy lather, work it in thoroughly. I rinse with warm water, then cold, and pat my face dry with a towel. Now my skin feels smoother, softer, and it is. These facials the screen stars depend on really do make skin lovelier. Recent tests showed actually three out of four complexions improved in a short time with daily Lux Toilet Soap Care. Why don't you try it? You'll enjoy the extra creamy lather the gentle, caressing way it touches your skin. Nine out of ten famous screen stars use fine white Lux toilet soap. Why don't you begin your daily facials with Hollywood beauty soap tomorrow? Irving Pitchell brings our stars back for the second act. With Dick Powell as Philip, Claire Trevor as Helen, June Dupre as Anne, and Mike Mazurki as Moose Malloy, we raise the curtain on act two of Murder, My Sweet. Philip Marlowe continues with his story. <laughs> This girl, this Anne Grail, she drove me to her father's place in Brentwood, a cozy eight or nine acres. Okay for the average family, only you'd need a compass to go to the mailbox. House was all right, too, but it wasn't as big as Buckingham Palace. I waited while she sold me to the old folks. 
It was like waiting to buy a crypt in a mausoleum. And then she called me in. Old man Grail looked like a college professor, and the old lady... Hmm, what an old lady. Blonde, gorgeous, and I guess about 30, with a face and a shape that would make most pinup girls look like Gravel Gertie. She had dimples on her knees, and I was admiring them when the old man started to talk. Do you know anything about jade, Mr. Marlowe? It's, uh... Green, isn't it? The jade stolen from my wife was a necklace, 60 beads of about six carats each. And very valuable, Mr. Marlowe. And there, why don't you sit down? What? Oh, yes. How valuable? A somewhat larger necklace recently brought $125,000. Yes, I never should have worn it. It was stupid. Inexcusable. Where was the stick-up? If you'll excuse me, I'm going to lie down. Mrs. Grail will talk to you. I'm most anxious to locate my jade, Mr. Marlowe. I can only hope it can be managed without any publicity. Wait a minute, Father. I'll go with you. May I mix you a drink, Mr. Marlowe? Thanks. I hadn't thought there were enough murders these days to make detecting very attractive to a young man. Well, I stir up trouble on the side. Uh, Tell me, uh, how much of your money was in Marriott's envelope? $8,000. Water or soda? Scotch. We assumed they'd never guess its real value. Who knew you were going to wear the necklace that night? My maid, perhaps. But I trust her implicitly. Why? Because I trust some people. I trust you. Did you trust Tom Marriott? In some things. You're not drinking, Mr. Marlowe. I thought detectives were heavy drinkers. Well, some detectives just encourage other people to drink. <laughs> Shall I tell you about the hold-up? It uh, might help. Well, I'd been out dancing, and Tom was bringing me home. Where were you stopped? Oh, near here. Does it matter a lot? Oh, not too much at the moment, no. How many other guys take you out dancing? I'm very fond of my husband. Only his two-step's getting a little stiff. (laughs) Miss Grail, do you know Jules Amthor? I've heard Tom speak of him. Why? Oh, I don't know. The cops told me to leave Amthor alone. Is he a bad boy? A lot of Tom's friends are, I'm afraid. Tom was rather a heel himself, but a nice heel. You don't know how horrible I feel. Why? Why? Because I'm responsible. I asked Tom to try to buy the necklace back. Oh, I just can't understand the whole business. All they took was a necklace. I was wearing a ring, too, but they didn't want the ring. Uh, About Jules Amthor, what's his racket? Well, he's sort of a psychic consultant. I think he's a quack. Tom went to him because he was all mixed up. He, He couldn't get started for fear of failure. I wonder if he'd take my case. That sounded like the door closing. It was. Anne's been standing there. Oh, strange child. Mr. Marlowe, you will help me, won't you? Why? Because you like me or are you paying me something in money? Well, I've never hired a detective before. What are the rates? As much as a traffic will bear. How do I find Amthor? <laughs> well, he's really quite inaccessible. Yes? Mr. Amthor is here, Mrs. Gray. Well, show him in. Well, don't look so smug. He really is inaccessible. I didn't have the faintest idea he'd be coming. Mr. Marlowe, how do you spend your evenings? I'm in the phone book. Mrs. Grail. Oh, come in, Mr. Amthor. This is Mr. Marlowe. Oh, how do you do? Mr. Marlowe is a private detective. He was with Tom when... when it happened. Oh? I was hired as a bodyguard and bungled the job. Now it's myself I'm investigating. Oh, these things are so difficult to believe. What could have happened? I've got a couple of notions. Would you like to help me work them out? Oh, I'm afraid I I wouldn't make a good detective, Mr. Marlowe, and I'm... Yeah, I know, I know. You're inaccessible. 
The police told me to keep away from you. You look harmless to me. I'll be very glad to arrange an interview. Just leave your number with Mrs. Grave. Oh, don't go to any special trouble. I'll bring my own crystal ball. Hey, how do you get out of this fun house? I was home that night trying to add things up. Moose Malloy, Marriott, Helen the Beautiful Blonde, and Jules Amthor. I put it all together and it just thumbed its nose at me. I decided to go down to Florian's cafe and split an infinitive when the boss, when the buzzer, changed my plans. I had a visitor, Helen Grail. I just dropped in because I thought you'd be interested in what Amthor had to say. Oh, and here. Shall we call this a retainer? Yeah, let's call it a retainer. Mr. Marlowe, do the police know about me? Would that bother you? Well, my husband has a morbid fear of publicity, and, and he's not at all well. Oh, I'll manage it. Now, about Amthor. Oh, please. I don't like being rushed. I was hoping we could go out somewhere. Do you like the Coconut Beach Club? I've never been there. I'm the drive-in type. <laughs> the lights there are very flattering. They'd even mellow you a little, I think. But it's the sort of a place where you're expected to wear shoes and a tie. Mm. I'll be right with you. We went to the Coconut Beach Club. We had a table in the corner. She gave me that dreamy smile and started asking questions. You know, you've got a nice build for a private detective. Oh, it gets me around. How does one get to be a private detective? <laughs> you don't mind my sizing you up a little? Well, most of us are ex-cops. I worked for the district attorney. Got canned. Surely not for incompetence. Uh, for talking back. I had an interesting childhood, too, but you didn't drop in on me to get a biography. You'd rather I talked about Amthor. That's right, a good guess. Well, then, stay right here. I've got to powder my nose, and then I'll tell you all about it. Well, just be back before I get stuck with a check. Mr. Marlowe, I'd like to talk with you. Well, hello, Miss Gale. I'd like to talk to you, too, but not now. Do the Grails always hold their family reunions here? It won't take long, what I have to say. Look, honey, I've already got a date. She'll be right back, and I don't want you two slugging it out in public. There's no danger of that. She won't be back. How do you know? Never mind. What did Helen ask you to do? She wanted me to kiss her and find her jade necklace. I may have the order wrong, but that's the general idea. Well, whatever she was willing to pay you, I'll pay you more. Just stay away from her. Why do you look at me like that? I don't know. I seem to remember you from one of my better dreams. You, you, you know, if I... Now what are you looking at? I'll be right back. Uh, hello, Mr. Malloy. Do you like this place better than Florian's? This the babe. I got something for you to do. Look, look, I'm a big boy now. Don't you want me to have any fun at all? I want you should meet a guy. Will you let go of me? Another ten seconds and gangrene will set in these fingers. Thanks. Okay, I'll ditch the babe. I couldn't ditch the babe. The babe had ditched me. First Helen had disappeared, now Anne. Anne had left a card on the table. She'd written on it, I'll keep the offer open. I don't live in Brentwood. My address is 962 North Hoover Street. Moose saw me put the card in my pocket. He came over and hustled me out to the curb. There was a car waiting, also a guy to drive the car. 
He took us to a very ritzy apartment house, showed us up to the penthouse, and then did something that made me rather unhappy. You, uh, you carry a gun, Pally? Oh, I'm so used to packing one, I hardly notices on me. I think maybe I better hold it, eh? Stop the stalling. Let's get inside. He was there, all right, Mr. Hampton. Me and Moose got him. Thank you, Michael. Mr. Hampton, I'd like to, uh, to ask him about Velma. Don't be impatient. You and Michael wait in the other room. Come on, big boy. <clears throat> but you ask him quick. I want to know now. Where did, well, you, where did you pick up Moose Malloy? Where he uh, met at Mrs. Grail's. You said you wanted an interview. Huh? I must insist upon some sort of logical progression. We'll come to Moose Malloy later. As for my profession, my patients regard me highly as a psychic consultant, Mr. Marlowe. Years ahead of my time. Which might be one way of saying that some folks have made some complaints to the cops. It might be. Do you have another theory about me? Yeah, yeah, I do, and it goes like this. Marriott blackmailed rich women, but somebody else found the women for him. Oh. Well, if you're right, I would be that somebody, and I would have Mrs. Grail's jade necklace, wouldn't I? Unless something went wrong, like Marriott losing his nerve and ringing in a private dick, a sucker who'd risk his neck for a C-note, who might figure a jade necklace would be a nice thing to have in his bank. And would this hypothetical detective be willing to part with it for a consideration? Could be, if he had it. How much of a consideration? Well, it's difficult to say until he produces the jade. He might be bluffing, trying to gain information. In which case, a great psychic, uh, years ahead of his time, might try to beat the truth out of him. You wouldn't suggest that? Only if you wanted to wear your face backwards for a while. No, no, there's no need for us to be at each other's throats, Mr. Marlowe. And there's really no need for subterfuge. Putting it on the simplest and friendliest terms. I want that jade. I suppose I don't have it. I suppose I don't want to sell. You got him to tell you yet? No, Malloy, I asked him where Velma is. He refuses to tell me. Now, wait a minute. I don't like you not telling me where you got Velma. Well, if Amthor told you I know where Velma Valento is, he's nuts. He just picked you up to do his dirty work. I gave you some dough to find her. Well, keep your shirt on and stop dancing me around. He's lying, Malloy. He knows. Where you got her? I haven't got her, you dimwit. You shouldn't have done that. You shouldn't have hit me. All right, now, the two of you. Stay just where you are. What do you got to pull a gun for? Where's that necklace, Marlowe? If you tell me, I can stop Moose. I don't know. Very well, Moose. He's yours. Make him talk. So Moose went to work. Those fingers went around my throat tighter and tighter. That black pool opened up at my feet again, and I dived in. The rest of it was a crazy, cold-cut dream. I was going somewhere. I'd never been there before. I was drugged. Somebody had filled me full of juice. I was in the land of poppies, and I met a lot of interesting people. Necklace, Mr. Marlowe. Where is the necklace? I'm all right. What happened? I'm all right. Then I knew I couldn't go to sleep. Not if I wanted to stay alive. 
I could still feel those fingers on my throat. I even saw them. Just a bunch of bananas that looked like fingers. I wonder what I was full of. Something to keep me quiet, or was I dope to make me talk? Maybe both. Okay, Milo, I said to myself, you're a tough guy. You've been sapped, choked, and shot in the arm till you're crazy as a couple of waltz and mice. But you got to get up and start moving. Let's see you do something really tough, like putting on your pants. Well, I made it. Okay, you cuckoo. Your pants are on, now walk. And talk. What about? Anything, everything. Just talk and keep walking. You're getting out of here. Walk! I walked, I don't know how long. That kind of time they don't make in a watch. And then the smoke went away. The room turned into a room, and I knew I was ready to talk to somebody. I tore the bed apart and got a hunk of bed spring, and then I started to shout again. Help! Help! Mike walked in again, and I let him have it. Oh, that was a nice feeling. I crept down the stairs. There was a man in an office. The doctor's office, it looked like. I was in front of him before he saw me, but his hand went for the buzzer right away. That buzzer won't buy anything tonight, Doc. I just gave Nursey a sleeping tablet. For three days, sir, you have been a very sick man. Three days? You're swaying right now. Don't you realize that? I'm, I'm all cured, Doc. Now, what were you saying? I made no remark. I thought I heard you saying that you had a gun in that desk. And that if, that if you were very careful, you could sneak it out. A very stupid thing to do, Mr. Marlowe. Uh, the gun. It's better. Now, talk some more. You've been suffering from narcotic poisoning. On account of you, pump me full of it. Speak up, Dr. Jekyll. I'm in a wild mood tonight. I haven't shot a man in a week. You very nearly died, sir. I had to give you digitalis. Also a little something to make me talk. What was I supposed to talk about? Maybe a jade necklace I haven't got? Mr. Amthor will be disappointed in you again. Never disappoint Mr. Amthor, Doc. It depresses him. I'm warning you, Mr. Marlowe. At any moment, you'll collapse. I must insist on your going back to bed. Get away from me. A gun, please. I want that gun. You're going to faint, Mr. Marlowe. Maybe you're right. Maybe you're right, but not on this carpet. I'll do my folding on a nice hard street. You'll never reach that door. Well, before I try, I'm going to rip something off. No, not your head. Just the telephone. So long, Doc. I'll look you up when I get insomnia again. I staggered out to the street and down to the corner. Then I thought I was seeing things again. Yep, there he was, Moose Malloy. I couldn't have knocked the ashes off a cigarette, but I tried to swing on him. He just held me up and started talking. You shouldn't have to fight with me. You ain't in such good shape. I'll, I'll murder you. I don't like to fight with nobody. I want for you to keep looking for Velma. Who planted you here, Amthor? Amthor tells me about you. But he was kidding all the time. Uh, he was kidding the pants off you, Buster. He doesn't want you to find your girl. Nobody's supposed to find Velma. He's got other plans. You ain't in such good shape. I'd better help you. Then get me a cab, you dopey gorilla. Where do you want to go? What's that card you got? It says 962 North Hoover Street on the card. You saw me pick up this card in the Coconut Beach Club. That's where the babe lives, huh? Yeah, I think I'll find out why she's living alone and if she really likes it. Now get me a cab. What are you doing here? 
What do you want? Black coffee, Miss Grail. Eggs and a scotch and soda. You're drunk. You better get out before... Hey, this is a nice place here. Is there room for you in the Brentwood Palace, or don't you like it out there? Why did you come here? Because the cops may be looking for me, and I'm not ready to talk. You're not drunk. Why do you look the way you do? Yeah, ask the second Mrs. Grail. She fixed up a blind date for me with Jules Amthor and a couple of his whipping boys. What happened? Are you all right? Uh, I don't think I'm supposed to be alive. Um, say that again. Say what again? The last thing you said. I said, what happened? Are you all right? Miss Grail, what were you doing out there in the canyon the night Marriott was killed? I was lying on my face when somebody threw a flashlight and asked me if I was all right. And then she said, what happened? Yeah, a girl with red hair and a crooked nose and a nice figure. Yes, a girl named Ann Grail. I didn't kill Marriott. You weren't out there just taking a hike. I didn't kill him. I'd say you overheard Marriott and your stepmother making some sort of arrangements about the jade. What if I did? You knew Marriott had been holding hands with her and you didn't like that. I hate her. And you hated him, too. You hated anybody that had anything to do with Helen, so you bumped him off. You killed Tom Marriott. I didn't. I didn't do it. I didn't. We pause now for station identification. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. brief intermission before our stars return in the third act of Murder, My Sweet. Meanwhile, it's 2.45 of a bright afternoon, just the day for Mary to be hard at work in her victory garden. There, that'll hold those pesky weeds for a while. Hello, Johnny. Telegram for me? What in the world? At 48-hour pass, arriving 5.15. See you soon, darling. Signed, Jim. Oh, heavens to Betsy. He'll be here in a few hours. I'd die if he saw me like this. The house has got to be slicked up, too, and I've just got to fix something special for dinner. Well, here goes. Got to work fast. Now it's 3.45. Mary has accomplished wonders. Is giving the furniture one last polish. There. That looks something like it. And now to press my dress. The blue and green print Jim loves so. Now it's 4.45. The dress is ready, the dinner started, and there's still a half an hour to go. Oh, goodness, I feel all in. Glad there's time for my Lux Soap beauty bath. That'll do the trick. Lather's wonderful. So rich and creamy. I feel like a different person already. And I love this nice perfume Lux Soap leaves on my skin. Makes me forget all the work I've done and feel like Jim's girl again. And now it's 5.30 and Jim is here. Gosh, you're lovely, Mary. What makes you so sweet? So many clever girls depend on their Lux Toilet Soap Beauty Bath for a quick, refreshing beauty pickup. But most important of all... They know this secret. When I step for my Lux Soap bath, I know my skin is fresh and really sweet. Cream stars say a daily Lux Soap bath makes you sure of daintiness. And I've found they're right. Screen stars, lovely women everywhere, discovered long ago their fine white complexion soap, Lux Toilet Soap, makes an exquisite bath soap, too. The extra creamy lather, rich and abundant even in hard water, leaves skin flower fresh. And screen stars tell you they love Lux Toilet Soap's delicate clinging perfume, too. Why not get some of Hollywood's fragrant Lux Toilet Soap for your beauty bath tomorrow? It's thrifty to use. You'll find each satin-smooth cake lasts and lasts. Back now to Irving Pitchell and our stars. 
The curtain rises on Act Three of Murder, My Sweet, starring Dick Powell as Philip Marlowe, Claire Trevor as Helen, June Dupre as Anne, and Mike Mazurki as Moose Malloy. Philip Marlowe is in the apartment of Anne Grail, whom he has just accused of murder. I stood there in Anne Grail's apartment and accused her of killing Marriott. I was sure she hadn't done it, but I had to find out what she knew. I know just what you're thinking. If I didn't kill him, my father did. And if he did, you'd do anything to protect him? No. No, he couldn't do such a thing. Uh, I, don't, I don't buy it either yet. I, I was just trying it on for size. Won't you please go home? I, I'm expecting a date. I, I, I can't go home. There's a very stubborn character named Inspector Randall. And if he isn't on my doorstep right now waiting to pick me up, then two of his stooges are. So relax. It... Hey, your date? Probably. Wait here. Tell him you've decided to have a quiet little supper with me. Yes? My name's Randall. I'd like a word with your boyfriend. Oh, I was just talking about you, Inspector. I've been looking for you for three days. Pull up a chair. Miss Grail was about to fix some soft-boiled eggs and scotch. You wouldn't join us. Last time I saw you, I gave you some good advice. I guess it didn't take, huh? I didn't bother Amthor. I was going to, but it didn't get around to it. He got to me. Yeah, he gave me quite a party. How did it go? What'll it buy me? This is straight, Randall. You'd like to get Amthor, and I'd like to help you. He annoyed me a little. I'm listening. Well, Amthor's a tough turkey. Works some kind of blackmail routine on dames who come to him with problems. I think Marriott was his contact man. Let's get to the new part, huh? Uh, the jewelry Marriott was after was a jade necklace that belonged to one of Amthor's patients. Well, Marriott fumbled the ball. Yeah? So Amthor figured I had it. He sent me to a little rest home where the teacher to talk. There's a guy there who's a whiz with a hypo. The address is 23rd and Descanso. Okay, okay. Who owns the jade? I told you. One of Amthor's patients. By the name of, uh... I don't know. Oh, Miss Grail. Yes? When were you last to your father's place in Brentwood? Not for several days. Is something wrong? Skip it, skip it. Marlowe, I figure what you told me is on the level. But don't make a habit of trying to help me. I might get grateful and lock you up. Uh, give me a call tomorrow. How could he know about me? I don't know. That's what happens when you let a cop go to school. He gets smart. <laughs> now fix up your face. We've we got to get out of the marble quarry. Where? Brentwood. Oh. What's the matter? Oh, it's a funny thing. About every third day I get hungry. I, I can fix eggs and coffee if you want to wait. You know, you're crazy. Everybody takes a poke at you. They fill, fill you full of drugs, but you bounce right back and hit between tackle and end all over again. And I don't think you even know which team you're on. I don't know which team anybody's on. I don't even know who's playing today. At Brentwood, we saw Mr. Grail, and I've seen healthier-looking gents in the county morgue. His face was gray with worry. Something was eating him. More important than a missing jade necklace. A missing wife. Helen left yesterday. I haven't heard from her since. And have you seen her, have you? No, dear, but maybe... Well, maybe she went to the beach house. Beach house? It had been rented to Marriott indirectly through the bank. I think I'd better have a look at it. This whole thing has gone too far. Oh? Or maybe it's coming too close to home. Mr. Grail, I don't say you killed Marriott, but you could have... for a good old-fashioned motive. I did not kill him, Mr. Morrow... But I say it is better that he is dead. I'm not concerned if the police suspect me. I'm concerned about my wife. I, I'm losing her. Father, And that please. is why I say all this has got to stop. 
You'll drop the case, Mr. Marlowe. I'll pay you well. Oh, fine. I get dragged in, get money shoved at me. I get pushed out, get money shoved at me. Everybody pushes me in, everybody pushes me out. Nobody wants me to do anything. Okay, skip it. I'll put a check in the mail. Yeah, well, I cost a lot to do nothing. I get restless. Throw on a trip to Mexico. Father, where are you... Stay here. Why? Because I want a key to that beach house. But you just told him. I can't stop now. Do the cops stop? Does Helen stop? Do you stop? What do you mean, does, does Helen stop? Oh, I don't know. If I always knew what I meant, it'd be a genius. You're vicious. You get some horrible satisfaction seeing people torn apart. Sister, you're hanging on to something that's going to smack you hard. If I stick, it smacks you sooner, sooner and cleaner. Maybe that's why I'm sticking. Oh, but I'd stick anyway, because a guy who hired me got killed. I'll, I'll get you the key. We went to the beach house. Things happened there. Some of them I can explain. One thing I can't. After we took a, lo- took a look around, Anne and I were standing there in the dark, looking out that big front window toward the ocean, and before I knew it, we were in a clinch. Oh, it's nice to kiss a girl like Anne Grail. I told her she had a cute little face, even if her nose was slightly crooked. It isn't crooked. Just has a bump on it where I got hit with a baseball. I used to play shortstop. Philip. Yeah? What about my father? If we don't find I'm Helen... going to make you mad now, baby. But here goes. Your father really loves Helen. When I came along, you were afraid she might turn me into another Marriott. So you tried to buy me off. That didn't work, and I began to suspect your father. A real tough guesser might say that when he couldn't buy me off either, you decided to be nice to me. Like just now. There's nothing decent about you, is there? Nothing at all. I, I don't always guess right. I, I may be wrong. I, I think I am wrong. Sometimes I hate all men. Young men, handsome men who don't work for a living and, and almost heels who are private detectives. <laughs> Helen. Oh, I'm sorry, darling. But you should know by now that men play rough. They soften you up and then they belt you one. <laughs> Hello, Mr. Marlowe. Hi. I didn't finish, Helen. I hate a lot of women, too. Especially beautiful, expensive blondes. All bubble bath and moonlight. And, and inside, cold and hard like blue steel. Only not that clean. Your slip is showing, darling. I'm leaving. I'll tell Father you're here. Well, how long have you been here, Mrs. Grail? Since yesterday. You just happened to leave the Brentwood place before the cops dropped in on your husband? Oh, please. Look, you hired me to get your necklace, so you stand me up at a corny rum joint and tell Amthor. I'm sorry. I, I thought you might have had the jade. Please, please don't blame me. You could have had it. What Amthor did, was it bad? Uh, it almost made me mad. Yeah. <laughs> now, just what goes between you two? Well, he's blackmailing me. Well, that much even I can figure out. My husband is in love with me. I'm... I'm fond of him, and I'm grateful, but I find other men very attractive. I imagine they meet you halfway. I met Amthor through Tom Marriott. He's smart. He does know psychology. He got me talking, and of course I talked too much. He uncovered something, and the blackmailing started. I think if my husband had found out, it would have killed him. So you agreed to give Amthor the necklace? But before I could, it was stolen. By Marriott? Must have been. Amphor probably came to the same conclusion. He decided to kill him, and that's why Marriott wanted you for protection. All right, I'll, I'll buy it up to there. What happens now? 
I want you to help me kill Jules Amthor. Don't you see? You're the only one I can turn to. It's the only way I'll ever have peace. He'll never be satisfied, even if he does get the jade. Why me? Because I have a gun or just because I wear pants? Oh, please. Please, I need you so. I need help and peace desperately. I need you. Have you got anything worked out? Yes, but Amthor's disappeared. Maybe I can find him. Well, then tell him you've got the jade and you're ready to sail. Then what? That's my part. All right, uh, I'll dig him up. Oh, you're... You're wonderful. How would you like not having to earn a living? Wouldn't bother me a bit. (laughs) When will you be back? Uh, I may have a time finding him. Maybe not till tomorrow night. Oh, would you mind kissing me goodbye? No, I wouldn't mind at all. I went straight to Amthor's apartment. I had a couple of keys, and one of them fitted the back door. I wanted to surprise Amthor. I thought it would give him a bang. I thought it would kill him. Amthor was on the living room floor. He wasn't must, just snapped, the way a pretty girl would snap a stalk of celery. Only for this job, you'd have to be a big man with a big pair of hands. I hustled downtown, bought a late edition. I wanted to see how the police were doing on the Marriott murder. And while I was looking at the paper, somebody was looking at me. I've been trying to find you all over. I got to go away. Yeah, yeah, Amthor's dead. I know, you didn't mean to kill him. You just shook him too hard because he wouldn't tell you where Velma is. You find her? Yeah, Moose, I find her. Where is she? You tipped the Johns off on her. I wouldn't want little Velma to do no stretch. Turn me loose, turn me loose, and stop waltzing me around. If the Johns got Velma... Nobody's got her, she's got herself. Yeah, you can see her tomorrow. Okay. Now go hide yourself and be here tomorrow night as soon as it gets dark. Moose showed up tonight like I told him. I sold him on waiting outside the beach house until I called him. That was like lighting a stick of dynamite and telling it not to go off. But I had a plan. Helen was waiting for him. Philip, Philip, did you find him? Did you find Amthor? He'll be here around 12. 12. Would you like to look at this? Hmm? This is it, Philip. The necklace. Where'd you get it? I went to Brentwood today. Got it out of my dressing table drawer. Surprise. In a flabbergasted sort of way, yes. It was never stolen. You faked the whole thing? I simply wasn't going to let Ampho get it. When he comes, he can take a look at it. Well, he, he may have a gun. He'll never get that far. So have I. You went to Brentwood. Then where's Anne and your father? I can't say. They were out. And now I'm going to be very grateful. Here, the necklace. It's yours. You're much too nice to be a grubby detective all your life. You told Marriott this thing had been stolen. Why? Well, he was close to Amthor. They both had to think it was stolen. Marriott fell for that? Of course. And you still think Amthor killed him? Who else? You. Oh, no. No, you you can't mean that. Yes, I think Marriott was scared because he'd agreed to help you kill a nosy detective. The same detective Moose took to Florian's joint, the one Florian told Marriott about. Marriott had to help you protect his interest. You knew that. You were a living to him and to Amther and, his, and in his modest way to Florian. You supported them. They knew you wouldn't be worth blackmailing if I found you for Moose Malloy. Oh, no, no, oh, I was nifty thinking, darling. At the canyon, one of us would get out of the car. It didn't matter who. Either way, you had Marriott and me separated, and you would tag us one at a time and get your 8,000 bucks and knock off Amthor later. 
Yeah, it might have worked, too, if it hadn't been for Anne chasing down there after you. Of course, my head's pretty hard. It's true. It's all true. Everybody was closing in on me. I didn't know which way to turn. And it almost worked, sister. I was almost as dead as Marriott. But killing a man with a blackjack, oh, that's no work for a lady. Well, after, after it happened, I, I didn't know what you would do. But now I'm, I'm so close to peace. So close. Just, just Amthor. But I can't face it alone. Don't desert me now. Sure. Amthor blackmailed you. He's got something on you, only it isn't what you told me. It isn't just men. Your husband could understand the men. No, it's the clink looming up. And it's no good understanding the clink. Moose is looking for you, Velma. Where is he? Where is Moose? Waiting for me to call him in. Eight years ago, when you were his girl, what did you talk Moose into doing? He went to jail for you. Was it murder or something serious? Where are you going? To tell him that his red head has turned blonde. Come back. Huh? Oh. Oh, a gun. Well, well, it fits your personality better than a blackjack. And the pearl handle goes swell with your fingernail polish. You know, it's too bad it has to be like this. Don't move. Who is it? Well, well, come in, come in. Hello. Darling, that gun, what are you... Close that door, Anne. Your timing, dear, gets worse and worse. We've been listening. Why didn't you tell me you were in such trouble? I wanted to spare you. I might have been able to prevent all this. Now, of course, it's too late, Mr. Marlowe. I see your point. Helen, if Mr. Amthor is coming, I think perhaps you'd better do it quickly. Father! Get inside, dear. Keep your hands up, Mr. Marlowe. I'll have to take your gun. I'll be with Anne, Helen. Oh, all by ourselves again. Yes, you know, this will be the first time I ever killed anyone I knew so little about and, and like so much. You and I, just a couple of mugs. But we could have got along. What's stopping us now? I can handle Moose. He broke Amthor's neck yesterday. What did you say? Something I shouldn't have. Amthor is dead. Yeah? Then that leaves only you. I'm sorry, but you know too... <laughs> Too, too much. I had to do it, Mr. Marlowe. I had to kill her. Hello, hello. Let's have the police. Give me that phone. Give it to me. Don't you realize he saved your life? Why must you suffer for that? The cops always like to solve murders done with my gun. She's dead, isn't that enough? She was evil, all evil. I think I hear a shot, Mr. Marlowe. I think I better come in. Moose. Moose, it didn't work out the way I planned. Never mind. I'd like to talk to Velma now. I'd... Moose. Don't touch her. She ain't hardly changed. Just like always. Cute as a bug's ear. I wasn't going to bother her none. She done all right? Who done this? I did. You shouldn't have killed her. Moose. You shouldn't have killed Velma. Moose. Get out of my way. Don't come any closer, please. Moose, will you listen to me? Moose! That old black pit opened up again right on schedule. Blacker than the others and deeper. Well, that's the works. That's all I know on account I didn't see so well with my eyeballs scorched. They didn't keep me long at the hospital. Two hours ago, Randall came and picked me up. And everything I've been telling you, I've been telling him. He's sitting right here in front of me now. I wish I could see Randall. Wish the bandage wasn't on my face. I want to look at his ugly kisser and figure what he's thinking. Marlowe? Huh? Eh? 
There's a piece of paper here on my desk, a warrant for your arrest. I'm tearing it up. Oh, thanks. Uh, tonight, uh, when it happened, I, I heard the shots. I still don't know who got hit. It wasn't the kid, was it, Randall? No. No, you can get out of here now if you want to. You mean I'm sprung? Who backed me up? Who got shot? I heard three. Moose Malloy. Dead? Yes, and Grail. While they were fighting for the gun. Anne's okay, then. Huh. She thought it over while I was in the hospital and came around and backed me up, right? I didn't say. Hmm. McNulty, see if he gets home. Yeah. I'll buy you a ride in the cab, Marlowe. Hey, what are you putting in my pocket? The necklace. She gave it to you, didn't she? Yeah, I tried it on. It's wrong for my complexion. Then give it to your girlfriend. Strangle yourself with it. No, just go on, beat it. Let's go, Marlowe. Well, you can come in now, Miss Grail. Why didn't you tell him? Why did you have to keep him guessing? About your backing him up? Why don't you tell him? You can catch him outside. Just give Nolte the high sign. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Hey, nothing. Yeah? What do you know about that redhead pitching for me? Uh, uh, yeah. Hey, are we alone or am I hearing things? What things? Like someone else is walking with us. Oh, you're on the street. Lots of people walk on the street. Oh, oh. She had a cute figure, huh? I, I didn't notice. You must be low on vitamins. Oh, she had more than a figure, too. Not a beautiful face, but a good face. I, I didn't notice. Face like a Sunday school picnic. Well, there's a cab down the block. Say, are you sure we're alone? Hey, hey, cab! Yes, sir. Oh, well, I guess she thought I liked the blonde chewing on my face. Wish I could tell her. I wish I could... Duck your head, Marlowe. This here's the cab. Where to, mister? 800 South Kingsley. Yes, sir. Hey, Nulty, I... Hey, what goes? If I didn't have these bandages over my eyes... You go to the same address, too, lady. Uh, Nulty, I haven't kissed anybody in a long time. Would it be all right if I kissed you, Nulty? I think it would be just fine. I said, are you going to the same... Oh. Oh, yeah, I guess you are. <laughs> now that we've cleared Dick Powell of murder... The rest of our cast can get back on their feet and join him at the footlights for a curtain call. You should have been in tonight's cast, Irving. You used to play in pictures. Well, thanks, Dick. But I'm too old to go through what you went through in tonight's play. Tell me, Claire, how does it happen that a nice girl like you always gets to play the bad girl roles? I don't know, Irving. I guess they've got me typed. They had Dick Powell typed for a while, but look what he's doing now. That's right, June. Next week, he starts a whole new radio series as a tough detective. You mean I might yet get a chance to play a sweet young housewife? And how about me, Mr. Pitchell? Do you think I could play Hansel and Gretel with Margaret O'Brien? <laughs> Maybe if you took a course in compression, Mike. You mean expression. No, I mean compression. 
Or else learn to walk on your knees and keep your hands behind your back. <laughs> uh, well, what do we do with June Dupre, Irving? Well, we just pat her on both cheeks and tell her to stay as sweet as she is. Oh, now, here, you aren't falling for that Lux complexion pitch. Why not? Other men have. That's right, Irving. That's why so many of us use Lux toilet soap. Look, uh, Pitch, while we're getting everybody out of acting ruts, what, uh, what sort of a role would you give yourself if you went back to acting? Well, you were mostly a heavy in pictures, weren't you? Yes, and I rather fancy myself in a light musical comedy part. You know, the kind of bright young chap who sings, Smile the while, the smile be your style. You... <laughs> Look, Irving, I, I think you'd better stick to making pictures. Incidentally, I understand from Paramount that you did great things with a medal for Benny. Well, I had a good story there to work with, Dick. A homeboy whose rival in love is an overseas hero. And a good cast. I'm looking forward to it, Irving. But uh, tell me, what do you have on Lux next week? Well, for next week, we have an altogether charming story with a most delightful cast. The Canterville Ghost, starring Margaret O'Brien, Charles Lawton, and Tom Drake. Take a group of high-spirited American commandos, build them in an ancient British castle where their hostess is Lady Margaret O'Brien, and then haunt that castle by the most notorious ghost in England, and you have the elements of Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer's entertaining and extraordinary comedy. The Canterville Ghost can haunt my house next Monday, Pitch. Good night. Good night. Good night. Good night. And all our thanks. This week, America salutes the Army's famous Quartermaster Corps on its 107th anniversary. The oldest supply branch of the armed forces, the Fighting Quartermasters, are seeing to it that American soldiers are the best fed, best clothed, best cared for fighting men in history. Theirs has been a gallant contribution to the cause of freedom. Our sponsors, the makers of Lux Toilet Soap, Join me in inviting you to be with us again next Monday night when the Lux Radio Theater presents Charles Lawton, Margaret O'Brien, and Tom Drake in The Canterville Ghost. This is Irving Pitchell saying good night from Hollywood. Every day, as the war against Japan increases in intensity, the need for waste fats and greases grows more critical. Here's one department where the enemy may be superior unless you help make up the difference from your kitchens. Save all waste fats and greases, no matter how discolored. Keep a clean can in which to strain them and take them regularly to your butcher. Remember, for every pound, he'll give you four cents plus two extra meat points. Murder, My Sweet was presented through the cooperation of RKO Studios, producers of Enchanted Cottage. Dick Powell appeared through the courtesy of the Fitch Bandwagon and will shortly be seen in the RKO picture, Cornered. Claire Trevor will soon appear in RKO's Johnny Angel. Mike Mazurki is currently working on the RKO version of Dick Tracy. Heard in tonight's cast were Cy Kendall, Gerald Moore, Robert Regent, Norman Field, Eddie Marr, Dora Singleton, Charles Seal, Ed Emerson, and Leo Sharon. Our music was directed by Louis Silvers. This program is broadcast to our fighting forces overseas through cooperation with the Armed Forces Radio Service. And this is your announcer, John M. Kennedy, reminding you to tune in again next Monday night to hear The Canterville Ghost with Margaret O'Brien, Charles Lawton, and Tom Drake. And we're back. Okay, who wants to dive in first? Most of my stuff is about the novel and its relationship to this, so I'll let you guys go and I'll respond until we're ready to get to that point. Cool. All right, Jeff. You know, I love the characters. I love the Marlowe character anyway. I thought Dick Powell was was excellent um, at it. And the women characters, uh, I thought I thought were great. I really liked... Uh, her name is June Dupre, who played Anne. I thought she, you know, I thought she was great. I thought they were all great, but the so I love the characters and and I love how the plot kind of changes and moves, and you don't 
I mean, you suspect who it was, uh, but you don't really know. I didn't really know for sure. And so it was kind of fun uh, as it resolved itself uh, later on. Um, so I just, it's just such a great listen, such a great story. Yeah, no, I I felt the same way. I, one of the things that I I'm I'm very familiar with Dick Powell playing uh, Richard Diamond, Private Detective, and and right. hopefully we can get to that show at some point because I think that's a really unique kind of show, uh, and that has one. I think that's what most people remember him on Radio Drama Four for that particular show, and and I I want to do it also for another reason. I kind of want to go and take a look at some Blake Edwards stories mm, because yeah. he cut his teeth doing radio drama right. before he ever started doing a lot of comedy. But you can see these elements of comedy in so much of his stuff that he does. Mm -hmm. I, I don't want to get too far off the mark, but that's what struck me um, when I listened to him. And I'm like, oh, this sounds like Richard Diamond. Oh, yeah, sure it is kind of thing. <laughs> so from an acting point of view, I really appreciated that. At the end, I was also kind of confused at first because they were talking to the guy who was interviewing them uh pitch do you know who they were talking about right irving Pitch. No. yeah nope do you know who he is the producer no i just know he's a producer right he also is an actor uh he's a director and an actor he started way back in the day i found some interesting um stuff he did through that he did destination moon the 1950 version Oh, but, really? And he also did the 1932 Most Dangerous Game. No kidding. As a director. So he directed those. And uh, Tomorrow is Forever, which I, I kind of vaguely remember that because it's Norson Wells. I don't know that one. Yeah. And um, Without Honor was another one he did, which was, so he's only done like three or four um, movies as a director. He was, he was a narrator in that Without Honor one, which I don't know about kind of thing. But he, yeah, he directed the most dangerous game, and he was, and oh, he was an off-screen narrator for Destination Moon. So he had a perfect voice for a lot of those kinds of things. But it was interesting how they were like they talked to him, you know, very familiarly. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. But he was very well known in the Lux Radio Theater. He 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 showed up several times uh, for a, a one called Roughly Speaking and a medal for Benny, and also in. Of course, in tomorrow he did Tomorrow's Forever and Screen Director's Playhouse because he, he had already done that as well. So mm -hmm. I think a lot of his work was done on stage, but he was one of those guys who made the jump. He was born in, in 91, 1891 and died at 63 and 54. So a lot of these guys died early. I mean, I think Dick Powell ended up dying pretty early too, didn't he? I don't know. I, know. I think, um, yeah, he was, goodness, he... He, he was 58 wow. when he passed, so way too young. Yep. Uh, born 1904 and died in 1963. Imagine what else he could have done. I think in 63, if he could have gone another 20 years, he could have done some really neat stuff in the 70s, I think. Yeah, um, oh, sure. But yeah, I think he would have been a good 70s me. actor, anyway. actually. <laughs> well, I really do. Yeah. In his 70s. Well, yeah. <laughs> the, thing, the thing is, is that when you listen to their little repartee at the end there you mm -hmm. know i i wonder if he was kind of giving dick powell a little, little uh you know tweak when he says yeah i'll be a song and dance man yeah yeah <laughs> you, you know 
and like that, you know, so it yeah. was, uh, yeah, yeah, because everybody sort of looked at him. You could tell there's like this awkward pause, like, pitch, you're never going to be a song and dance fan, yeah, right? <laughs> but I think he thought he was trying to sort of give him a little twink, yeah, that's what I that's what I thought, you know. <laughs> Yeah, That'd be a song and dance man, just like you. I didn't catch that at first, so yeah, that was really clever for you to pick up on that. <laughs> so, the story wise, it's it like I said, it's kind of all over there. So, it almost feels like the whole Moose Malloy story, it alone could be a story in itself. But in typical pattern, Philip Marlowe's character goes through one story, which enters a darker turn, and and he's kind of lost as as we are. And st- right. to where he's supposed they to be. They streamlined this a whole lot. The uh, convolutedness of this has no comparison to the novel. There, again, there was three stories brought together. That's what he did with most of his novels, is he took short stories that he had already published in Black Mask uh, under the Philip Marlowe or possibly another character and then repurposed it into his novels. Yeah, I guess I'll get into because it, it makes sense, especially since we have to deal with Moose. And Moose is kind of a weird character in the radio drama. Like, what exactly is he doing here? Right. And it just seems a little strange. Well, the major things that are different in the novel versus the uh, movie and the radio drama ties directly into two main themes, which I think this novel and um, The Long Goodbye, I think, are Chandler's novels where the themes are really far more present than in the other ones where it's just like, here's really cool language, here's cool allusions and metaphors, and it's a great page turner. Mm-hmm. Right. This one, I think, has really two strong themes that gets lost a little bit in the radio drama, which is your whole world can turn upside down in an instant, mm-hmm. and nothing you know can be true, and at the same time, you can never escape your past. It is always going to come back and bite you. So you've got almost something that almost seems incompatible, but they work really well. Mm. And we get that in the novel to begin with because... In the radio show, remember, Moose comes in and he hires Marlo. Right. In the novel, it's not like that at all. To find Velma Valento, just to be clear. Right. Right. Yeah. Yes, exactly. That's not the way it happens in the novel. In the novel, Chandler's on another case. He's just walking down the street and he's like, yeah, it's kind of a bust. This one's not going to go anywhere. Yeah. And all of a sudden, a big big hand goes onto his shoulder, pulls him in and starts talking to him. And it's Moose Malloy. Uh Uh-huh. Just basically pulled him off the street to start talking to him about this bar. (laughs) <laughs> and talking about Velma, and, Chan- and and Marlo's like, I have no idea what the hell's going on, but I'm going <laughs> to go along with this guy because he's really big, and pulls him into the bar, and it is no longer the old bar Florian's that Velma used to sing at. He's still looking for Velma. Mm-hmm. It is now owned by an African-American, and it's now an African-American joint. Okay. Showing just how much this world can change. He was in jail. He comes back. Everything is different. White is now black. Up is now down. All of that. Okay. And he then kills the owner of the bar, Moose Malloy does, who's a black guy. And because of that, even though it's like, oh, we've got our own bar. We've got our own place. I'm a businessman. I own something. I'm a respectable businessman. Well, the cops don't really care because, well, he's African-American. So we just don't really care on solving this case. So you can see how like those themes are already starting to play in just by like the first three or four chapters. Right. Anne is another interesting character in the in the novel. She's not one of the Grail family. She is a daughter of a corrupt cop from Bay City, which is where he gets stuck in the sanatorium. And her okay. father was a good cop framed by these other bad cops. And she is now like the past of like, no, I'm not going to let this go. I'm I'm still fighting the good fight. And then I guess the biggest final change is instead of Grail killing uh, Velma slash Helen, Moose comes in, Velma shoots Moose, 
and runs away. She gets away. Oh. She ends up in Baltimore. A cop finds her and she realizes she's never going to get away. Everybody's going to know who she is no matter where she goes and she kills herself. Oh my God. Wow. Wow. So those are those themes that I think come out really strong in the novel that are a little bit lost in the radio drama because they're not quite, they've been streamlined to make the plot work. Yeah, for sure. And streamlined from the movie as well in the same yes. way, right? Yeah. Yep. So yeah, you, geez. Is, is, correct me if I'm wrong, I might be getting my actresses mixed. Isn't it June Dupre that plays Anne? Yes. 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 Okay, cool. Yeah, she's, she was great. She's, she's British. Which is interesting. Yes. Mm-hmm. And she sort of started off and, and did a ton of stuff as well that ended up being in radio. But it's interesting that she made it to CBS. She was well known on CBS radio more than anything else. Maybe they had her on contract, but she did a lot of suspense, for example. Oh, she did? Yeah. yeah and uh, Silver Theater, which I'd never heard of before. I don't know. That, yeah. <laughs> so, and Your Devoted Wife, which is always <laughs> sounds like an old time radio show. Sure does. <laughs> Your Devoted Wife. <laughs> We oh, should God. talk about that that commercial when we get into it as well. That commercial oh, no, was amazing. Not, no. <laughs> I, I thought when I was hearing that, I was thinking we could swing we could swing that commercial on its on its end and have it be like some guy in his twenties trying to get you know together for a really good date that's really important to him. And it's like, I wonder what type of soap Sally will like, you know? And and should I yeah. use this cologne? And you know, because it's like if we look at it from that point of view, it's really not that weird. But oh my God, it comes off so heavy heavy handed. Uh, yeah. You know, sexy. Yeah, I love, I love, gosh, you're lovely, Mary. What makes you so sweet? Well, Gigi, exactly. it's the stress of being perfect for when you come home, of course. Yeah, <laughs> right, know? exactly. Like it's it's yeah. the same In my 20-minute luxe bath. Yeah. Oh, jeez, yeah. I love how yeah. it was like the the, the, the the time bomb countdown of the narrator. It is right. now 3.30. Oh, yeah, <laughs> like, It is now 4.30. Okay. You or, can feel the stress for the poor turn, lady. Turns out to be a Valium commercial. Day. Or when uh, Claudine Colbert... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. When when uh, Claudine Colbert comes on to give her beauty secrets and she says, "Wash your face with warm water, put the lux on, wash it with cold water." I'm going, "Isn't that what everybody does?" You know, <laughs> I, I, I mean, that's like no big beauty secret. You it's called washing your face. Right. how how do you use this toilet paper well first you take a dump then you wipe Uh, now pull up your pants do it in that order (laughs) (laughs) and now we've had our pg rating for the day (laughs) uh yeah no that was that was great it's it seems so out of place but i think when you ask that first question and i just to to talk about having the audience there and lightening it up I think that's part of it, right? You know, like they go mm-hmm. in between acts. You can't have it too dark and then have these Lux commercials going on, right? And so I wonder if Lux Radio, just the simple nature of it being what it is, so much of the really darker stories had to be lightened up somewhat. Do you think about that? I, I never thought about it, but I, I wouldn't be surprised, you know, if you got somebody from Lux going, yeah, we don't want to say that or we don't want to do that. Maybe I think the movie yeah, no, itself I, was pretty. I, I would be very. I wouldn't be surprised at all. Yeah, but the movie was pretty light, also. Yep. No, and well, the movie. You're right too. The movie was fairly I mean, light comparatively. Yeah. I think I they th- just they cut scenes out, but the, but it was still pretty. It was pr- still pretty similar. I mean, it was, it was far more closer to the movie than either one was to the novel. Well, certainly an, a happy ending at the end, which you're not used right. to with the, with the noir yeah. story, right? And and they did that in the movie as well. But I I wanted to ask what you guys would think. Like we talked about the humor and I love the humor. I just kept writing down notes, you know, 
felt pretty oh, yeah. good, just like an amputated leg, you know, and stuff like that. By the way, I also went on a, on a little bit of a passage to find out what cute as a bug here, where that comes from. So what, what comes like, from? Cute as a bug's ear. Oh, where does oh, that come huh. from? Do you know? Nope, I don't know. It came from the 1800s around Texas, used to describe someone adorable, but they think it probably started out with acute, referring to the insect's ability to react quickly. And then it just got shortened to cute hmm. instead of acute. Oh. Like having a, a you know, really <laughs> acute senses, right? In that respect. That's funny. So anyway, yeah, I'm going to ask this one directly of Jeff for a particular reason. But does it have to do with Shakespeare? Yes, it does. Well, how'd you know? <laughs> Which, so it's I official. was thinking of this right. humor as kind of obs- like early observational humor that you would see like later on in 80s and 90s comedians would do. Like they would just throw this. But when I thought about it, I thought the main character is he's kind of puckish. He's the trickster character oh. who's speaking to the audience as much as he's speaking to the characters themselves. And that's why they, they're in on the joke yep. and laughing. I think you're right. Do you think that's straight? Yeah. Oh, I do. Yeah. No, I think that's a great thought. Because yeah, because you're you're bringing the audience in. You're knocking down the fourth wall. You're just bringing them in, and and uh, you know, so they feel like they're a part of it. And the comments they're so obscure. I mean, they they throw people off because they're designed to obscure how he's feeling about something. So she'll mm-hmm. say something like, "Well, you got a nice build for a detective." And, oh, it yeah. gets me around. How do you spend your evenings? I'm in the phone book. (laughs) You know, like all these things that basically don't answer the question, but maybe create a sense of intrigue between the character and and I thought it was very interesting because the um, it is very lighthearted and very humorous, but still has a bit of a hard edged or hard boiled feel to it, even though it's a little bit maybe lighter than we would get on some others. And it's. I can see why they didn't use some of the lines from the novel because here again, we're getting Chandler getting very almost, well, he makes some meta uh, stabs at Hemingway, which I'll get to in a minute, which is pretty funny because uh, it's kind of like this raw, this like multi, like maybe 20, 40 page joke that finally has a payoff. <laughs> really? <laughs> some of the, 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 the things up front are a little bit more deprecating and a little bit more um, sort of a blacker humor in that, uh, in my, my, joke about the whiskey sours at the beginning is my very very favorite paragraph from chan from yeah from chan any of chandler's stuff is in chapter two of this book where he and moose malloy are up in florian's and malloy's still asking people if they've seen velma and everything and they're like well you're gonna order something he's like yeah i'm gonna have a whiskey sour and marla goes okay i'll have a whiskey sour too then there's a paragraph we had whiskey sours period (laughs) and the thing that's brilliant about it is that even though it's just short and quippy the next paragraph means that basically they're already done and Moose Malloy's like licking the inside of it with his tongue in some weird ass way. But it's like that paragraph probably was yeah. half an hour of them just drinking in like, you know, four words. Yep. So that was perfect. But then here's one where that shows this is a little bit later. He's interviewing someone trying to trying to track down Velma. And, you know, he, got, he, t- he finally finds the old woman who used to run the place before it changed ownership. And she's a she's an alcoholic. So he's like buying her liquor and trying to liquor her up to get story. And at one point he's, you know, sort of musing to himself and he goes, I liked being with her. I liked getting her drunk for my own sordid purposes. I was a swell guy. I enjoyed being me. <laughs> you find almost anything under your hand in my business. I was beginning to have to get a little sick at my stomach. So again, he's making these jokes, but they're at his expense. He's like, I'm an asshole. <laughs> you know? Yeah. 
Almost like he's delving, he's recognizing that even as he's just saying that, right? Mm-hmm. You know, exactly. He starts off like, by look saying, at what I'm I doing. like me, and then like, you know what? <laughs> Maybe that's not a good thing, right? So, well, yeah, and, and within context, the, the yeah. I like me, it's like, no, he really doesn't. And yeah. he knows it exactly yeah. as he's saying, and I, I like me, yeah, I'm yeah. not. But the Hemingway joke is really funny. So one of the, that when he's funny. in the Bay City Sanatorium, which the whole Bay City plot line has a, has a bigger thing, and Bay City is, is his stand-in for mm-hmm. Santa Monica, which at that time was a very corrupt city in, in the L.A. area. And so there's this big thug, and he, keep, and he keeps repeating things that... Um, Marlowe says. And so he starts calling him Hemingway and he keeps asking, why do you keep calling me Hemingway? And he's like, oh, you just keep it up, Hemingway. And then finally, at the end of like this whole thing, and they're about to like break apart. And he's like, you know, so, you know, okay, fine. We're, you know, this is all over the thing. But this Hemingway stuff has really got me down. A gag, I said, an old, old gag. Who is this Hemingway person at all? A guy that keeps saying the same thing over and over until you begin to believe it must be good. <laughs> that's the joke. He went, did all that just to basically that insult him. I love it. Wow. <laughs> that's, that's amazing. That's funny. Yeah. That, 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 and, that like goes back to Shakespearean or, oh, or, sure. or oh, um, yeah. Jonathan Swift's oh, time yeah. where they would go yeah. out of their way to write it like a poem or something like that. Just to, just to be nasty to somebody else. Yeah. Ah, that's amazing. Oh, yeah. That's awesome. And Chandler Chandler does that occasionally in various other things. This this one quote I'll give from the, the book, The Long Goodbye, which unfortunately was not made into an adaptation uh, radio drama. But this one is probably like the most social commentary one. And a lot of people don't like it because it's not as much of a fun page turner. But it shows kind of some of Chandler's uh, edge to him where he goes, at one point, Marlowe's uh, referencing another character. He goes, a man who drinks too much on occasion is still the same man he was sober. An alcoholic, a real alcoholic, is not the same man at all. You can't predict anything about him for sure, except that he will be someone you've never met before. Wow. And anyone who's dealt with a real heavy-duty alcoholic, yep. you know it's a Jekyll and Hyde situation. It was like, wow. And that's both The Long Goodbye and Farewell, My Lovely are, to me, the ones where his themes and commentary like that come to the forefront more than maybe some of his others. Wow. And that gets you in the yeah, that one, doesn't it? Yeah. But the language, the wow. language is is funny because there's one point where he's talking about the uh, the fog, and he, he alludes it to potage uh, de Saint Germain, which is fancy pea soup. Um, you know what I mean? Like he doesn't say ah, you know, because the ah, fog was as thick as pea soup. But he he, he takes the fancy French name, you know, in, in he, right. so for Marlowe to be using that that kind of French French name is kind of funny for that character. For sure. Yep. Do you do you find the like the end of Act Two and the head of Act Three? Do you find it a bit of a cheat because he accuses Anne of murder at the end of Act Two, and then Act Three he says, "I didn't ever believe she did it. I just wanted to throw it out there." Kind of. So, do you think that's a bit of a cheat to leave it a high note? Is that he? You know, I thought you, you it was kinda... them maybe playing around with some of the uh, the producers of this particular you know show, showing it as kind of like a. Uh, cozy mystery sort of thing because Hercule Poirot mm. does that all the time. Right. Yeah. You did this and this and this and this. And it's like, no, so it's like, you're right. You didn't do that. <laughs> <It's> like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, that, that's what I mean. You see that more in like, you know, di- dining room mystery style stuff than you do in, in an actual noir in the same way. Right. So. Yep. Mm, it's interesting. By the way, has anybody ever had soft boiled eggs and scotch? Every, every morning, buddy. Every yeah. morning. <laughs> it sounds like not, not, not at the same time. <laughs> not, not at the same time. There you go. Yeah, that was a weird uh, But uh, I want to get back on the weird on, combination. Back on the plot thing. Why was Tom Marriott killed? And who killed him? 
<laughs> I'll let Jeff go because I'm probably getting the book and the uh, radio show mixed up. Well, yeah, I don't know who killed him. Uh, I mean, we know that Anne. Oh no, it was uh, Helen. Well, it was it was Helen. I think it was Helen, but they don't. Yeah, it was Helen. They don't tie that directly up near the end kind of thing, right? Yeah. Uh, so. No, I, I'm remembering they, they do. There's this one point where okay. she's talking about stuff and he's like, "Can I think I think if we listen to his accusations to her at the end, okay. uh, either right before or right after the husband comes in and takes the gun away and doing all that uh, bit, I believe they oh, explain okay. that. Okay. Because I, I got lost in well, that Well, my guess, too, yeah, I'm my guess it would be Helen because Anne was there too, but I don't, I don't see her doing it. So. Yes. Well, well, Helen was the bad one, right? She was the one that got everything right, yeah. everything Helen, revolved around. Helen's Velma. Right? So, she was Velma. Yes, Velma, yes she right? was Velma. And that's what happened with Moose too. So, um, and why? And that's historically they've known each other for eight years back in the pen, and that's why she ended up killing. Maybe that's why she ended up killing Tom because yeah, yeah, isn't that it? Where because Tom was blackmailing yeah. her. Or, no. or, or because he knew about this. And it wasn't about the affairs, because that's what he said. It's not about the affairs. It's got to be something deeper, because her husband knew about the affairs. Well, so he yeah, everything, everything, everything went back to her not wanting to be exposed, her old life to come right. back and get her. Right. She was eliminating right. everyone who knew, right? So, yep. Yeah. Yep. So he knew. Marriott knew. And, uh, but was Marriott blackmailing her, or was that um, Jules? Marriott might have just been a loose end. Right. I think Marriott was like, he knows too much, so right. let's get right. That's him. what it means. She's okay. she's wiping out everybody who's who's knows who she is. Yeah. Oh yeah, no, it was Amphor that was that was blackmailing her. Right. It was yeah. Right. The other guy yeah. was blackmailing. Yeah. Her. Amthor. Jules Amthor. Amthor. Yeah. A- yeah. And and Moose shook him dead or something like that. Amthor. Yeah. yeah. Right. So. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, in the in, in the in the novel, Moose and Amthor are not working together. Gotcha. Um, they do. Okay. They do have some interaction and everything, but basically, Moose is just on his own, and he's just a big moose moving through and causing dominoes to fall. Do you think that's a an issue, an element of noir, where I I think there's some truth to that, where you need to break from the past and you can't break from the past, and that's like that's that's a huge element, right? And so, yep. You, you guys want to build upon that because that's what it strike strikes me as something you see in noir a lot right that so much is is hinged upon the fact that you just want to be new but you can never escape the mess behind you well she asks him right i mean i think it's helen who asks him or maybe it's ann how'd you get to be a private detective right and and Mm -hmm. he says most of us were ex-cops but i worked for the da you know and got fired or whatever. And I, I think that, yeah, there's certainly that past, you know, where he was do- an investigator for the DA or whatever he was. And uh, he got fired. I forget why he said for being too good or something like that. Or, um, he gives a reason like that. So, yeah, I, I think that their past in, is certainly that it's there all the time, it seems to me. Uh, Lothar knows more about noir than I do, but so I'd be interested to see what he says. It, well, it is it is probably from both a scholarly as well as just you know audience point of view, as Jack has recognized, um, it is the predominant theme of both Roman noir and film noir, which is you cannot escape the past. Uh-huh. Yeah, and, and probably the film noir out of the past is is probably the, the best exemplary of that, uh, even in the name. But 
yeah, we've really got that very strongly in in this. And I think, you know, tying in the the whole existential movement, which was, you know, co-concurrent with the noir genre and the hard-boiled genre that we've talked a little bit about in, in other episodes, was a similar sort of thing to where you cannot really change who you are. You can only really be yourself. Yeah. And you can you can maybe refine that, you can maybe, you know, polish that up and become you know, a more functional version of yourself, but you're never going to redefine who you are because you are you and you can only become who you already are. And that's very much a existential, you know, quandary. And I think that ties into to noir, even though noir is a lot more nihilistic than some aspects of existentialism, at least, uh, you know, Camus absurdism variant of it. So, well, but yeah, it's definitely there. And it's, it's in, it, it's, it's pretty much in every single noir and it's in most gris as well. And so. he, and that leads to his present, right? Because he, he gives you little hints about his present, right? His, he's got a, his two by four office, right? His bank accounts, you know, lower than a duck. Yeah. It's, a hard boiled detective is an interesting role because here we've got someone that's again, that, that evolution of the gunslinger um, or uh-huh. the cowboy. So he's almost a lim- he's a liminal figure. He's part noir. But he's not that tragic noir that we get in, you know, some of the other, you know, types of, of Roman noir to where it's like, yeah, you were just a – or Velma, let's say. She can't escape her past. Right. It's going to end badly for her. No matter what happens, it's going to come back. That's far more of like the classic noir sort of feel going okay. on there. Marlowe, any of the hard-boiled detectives are kind of a little of that, but they're kind of outside of that too. They're, they're kind of – Walking between the brightly lit world of people who do not have that noir background and the noir world, and trying to keep one from blurring too much into the other, oh, okay. without getting corrupted. An interesting sort of thing, which uh, I, I just think is another sort of like modern day way of looking at, at some of these themes, is uh, Jan and I just rewatched Blue Velvet by David Lynch mm-hmm. a week or so ago. Oh, and while it's still very dark and very weird and very David Lynch, it is almost in some ways a perfect neo noir. Yeah. And the things that Kyle MacLachlan's character in that is very much of like, here's what happens when you start wading into these waters and maybe you're not going to come out untainted. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what goes on with Marlowe is if I'm remembering from the novels, the reason why he stopped working for the DA's office is because he talked back to someone. That's what he said. Yeah, it it was like there was some corruption going on. There was some sort of. Yeah, but it was it was it was like, a yeah, basically, I'm taking a stand on something I don't agree with. Right. You know, so. You know, he's he's making a choice. He's going to stay a little more pure, but he's going to, you know, live a crappier life because of it. It's interesting, too, because Helen, it's there's an aspect as well of your true nature comes through no matter what. And so that's what we're finding out with Helen, right? You know, she yep. part of her wants to be the good wife, but you know what? It's kind of boring. Right. And, and so that true nature of her comes up and she's unrepentant a philanderer in that respect. And in some ways... It's funny, you know, if you ever get across the big crooks that everybody knows they're a crook, they're the most honest people in a noir, you know? <laughs> exactly. They, they, they are exactly who they are and they don't pretend to be anything different. That's you know? that's a perfect thing that you bring up for noir in general because one of the things that, that I've noticed in, in both Roman and, and film noir is, at least from my perception, the people that have the cleanest arcs, even if they end in death, are the ones that make a strong choice as to who they are. They know right. who they are. I'm the good guy. I'm the bad guy. Whether death happens, it'll be a little bit cleaner than that person that thinks they're really good, but they're really got feet of clay and they've got a huge rot in them that they're just denying. Right. 
or even someone who thinks, hey, I'm a, you know, I want to be a crook, but I'm actually too soft-hearted for it. They're not going to end up well either. So the people that are very clear about who they are, I think, do better, even if, you know, maybe their deaths are a little bit more, uh, well, it didn't suck so badly as this other <laughs> guy. Yeah. What do you think of the um, interaction between Helen and Anne where she starts off by saying, I think it's Anne who says, sometimes I hate all men. And Helen says, men play rough. They soften you up and then belt you one. Yep. And then Anne comes back with, sometimes I, I hate all women too. So there's these are women who, you know, appear to be in love with somebody at some point and change it around. And it's very manipulative, no less manipulative than the guys, but th they certainly use romance as a, as a more manipulative aspect. Right. So is that are, are, am I wrong in suggesting that those are those are common themes as well? in, in noir? I think so. Um, I mean, Velma is very clearly the classic femme fatale. Mm -hmm. And Anne is a little bit of maybe the, uh, um, you know, the, the, the film and radio producers uh, foil to throw a little something else in there, too. You know, right. It, it, I found it very weird, again, coming at it from the novel to where it's like uh, Anne and Helen didn't have the same relationship in the, in the novel. So uh, I just found it kind of weird and almost a little forced. That whole what was their relationship? It reminded me there wasn't one. Oh, okay. Anne was right. the daughter of a, of a dead cop, and she just happened to be around right. and pulled him out of that, that car, but she wasn't part of the Grail family at all. And I can't remember. If they, if they interacted at all, it was very, very little. I don't think they did. Yeah, I just thought it was a little odd, and it, it reminded me also a little bit of the relationship in Double Indemnity between the, say, uh, the stepdaughter and, yeah, and right. the mother. The, the yeah. new mother and the, and the daughter always seems to be yeah. an element. That, I've seen that in several noirs, right? Like this yeah. interloper into the relationship of what, you know, the daughter would assume was a perfect one until dad got grabbed up by this other woman kind of thing. What well, do you think, we, we have some interesting things going on. Just one last thing and then I'll, sure. then I'll pass it over to Jeff. One, uh, I think it's really interesting that not only do we have people obviously riffing off of Double Indemnity and how powerful that was, but also... Uh, these are archetypal fairy tale motifs of oh, the yeah. evil stepmother. No, of so anyway, yeah. on to you, Jeff. Wow, that was never even thought of that. But but I, I think too with the relationship between Anne and Helen is, I mean Helen's only thirty years old, too. So how old is Anne? Right. You know what I mean. So so when you have yeah. a stepmother who's like three years older than you, you know it's uh, yep. it, it's got to be weird. So there's really no relationship. Yeah, Mr. Grail's in his 60s, right? So. I would assume so. He, he was described as what? Looked yeah. like a uh, college professor? Yeah. You know, yeah. And, and and he certainly played older, the, the actor. Yep. So, you know, that's there's that, that kind of strained relationship or almost no relationship between them. Because she lives out in an apartment, right? They have that mm -hmm. big, huge house in Brentwood that she could certainly live in. But she's like, no way. So it's it's yeah it's an it's an interesting relationship and you know I, I think it's interesting too that at different times in the radio drama he kisses both of them right yeah yeah you know what I mean so it's kind of like a interesting dynamic that's happening there he says Marlo I find other men very attractive do you remember what he responded with yes I imagine they meet you halfway <laughs> <laughs> yes that's what he said just yeah, I love that brilliant stuff, stuff. That's and. Just yeah, it's uh, it just breaks my heart that I, can, I I can't write as well as that. That's that's amazing. Yeah. One other thing, I wanted to get into the technical side of things quickly, unless you guys had something else you wanted to throw in there. Nope. Um, nope. One of the things that I was interested about was the fishbowl sound they had when Moose was choking him. 
where everything kind of like, you know, went into a bit of a fishbowl kind Mm -hmm. of thing for a little bit. So he was kind of like in and out of it. What do you think they did for that? And did you think it was effective? I don't know what they did for it, but I didn't think it was so effective. I, I thought it pulled me out of the story a little bit. Are you talking when they go down at the end, like as the transitioning scenes, or, or am I in the wrong? No, no, it's earlier on, and Moose is choking him almost out of unconscious. Oh, like, oh, oh, he that loses scene. consciousness oh, a couple of times. Oh, oh, oh. The first yeah. time he gets knocked in the back of the head by the blackjack. Yeah, right? before he gets. And then taken the second the, time, Moose is choking him. The doctor him. who yeah. gives him the drugs. And then there's a there's a similar. Isn't there a similar effect also when he's drugged up in the sanatorium and yes. he's listening to everybody talking around him? That's right. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. I agree with Jeff in that it uh, it was too hard to hear, so I was yeah. straining too much to make out what was going on, and that pulled me out of it. Right. I don't know what they did, but it reminded me a little bit of something that I do know, and I find this this interesting. Are you guys are familiar, and maybe some people in the audience are too, with wet and dry reverb when you're applying reverb to something? I'm not. No. Have you ever seen those settings, dry reverb or wet reverb? I have reverb? seen the settings. I wouldn't know what to do with them. Okay. What this <laughs> what this comes from is a literal thing. So Fender, the guy who made Fender yeah. guitars, was in Fullerton, California, and he had a warehouse or like a you know like an industrial warehouse sort of thing in this business park. And people would come to him like Dick Dale, um, Dick Dale. you know, famous yeah. surf guitar guy, would bring in and go like, I need this to happen. And, and I need, you know, I, I need something that's going to be able to stand up against what I'm putting yeah. it through. And I need an amp that'll do that. And Fender, before Fender became the Fender that, you know, was super big, this is how he kind of got there. He'd go, okay, don't tell anybody I'm going to tweak this and do some sort of mad okay. scientist stuff. And, I'll, you know, next week, I'll give you a new amp and a new, you know, guitar for you to play with, things like that. Well, at one point, one of the places in that same business park was an aquarium or like a, a pet store uh-huh. with aquariums. Mm-hmm. So what Fender was doing to try and get certain effects and to play around with sound is he would do, if I'm remembering how this works. So you basically, he's going to be, so you're playing the guitar and you have a little tiny amplifier that is put in an aquarium. And then you've got a microphone hanging into the aquarium as well, picking up the sound that is reverbing within the aquarium from the initial amplifier. And then that gets brought into whatever the recording Ooh. is. If the aquarium was dry, it was a dry reverb. If there was a little bit of water and they then had something for the amplifier to sit on above the water, but the water was still in there, it was wet reverb. I'm wondering if they did something kind of sort of like that in some less convoluted way to get that effect because it did have a very weird muffled sound that seemed very practical effect and very all-encompassing like that sort of thing. Like we've got, we just dropped everything into this big environment that's causing the effect very cool yeah that probably i I wonder like it's interesting because there's not a lot of information like there's they didn't film any of this stuff right and it'd be interesting to see the technical process because it's done live oh yeah that's what throws me off it's so i was trying to think they could have they could have even just put like a microphone in a big tin can and had the person talk i mean we've all we've all had people back in the old the good old days of early modern uh, radio drama audio drama when uh, people were recording in effectively a really bad bathroom and it's like did you really have to make it like this (laughs) yeah but the thing is it's it they would have to put the microphone in it and and carry because they were getting all the ambient sound from everybody else too right talking through yeah that's true not just the the one guy it's yeah. it's the whole thing that they were doing, right? So that that was interesting. Was there anything well, else technically, technically that I, I just had a thought about just a little bit more general in terms of those workarounds that they did, like the the Fender story is interesting, you know, because you know, somebody like Dick Dale, this is the sound I want, right? Help me make it. 
mm-hmm. or or when you're working like analog stuff and you're coming up with these kind of practical workarounds and because even when I started doing theater, there were some theaters that had like the you know the rheostats on the walls for the lights, you know, and the guy the guy was like Doctor Frankenstein, you know what I mean, running the <laughs> lights from these these big plungers and all these diodes or whatever they're called, and the stuff that they could do with that. As opposed to now, or even like lights, you know, now that you have LED lighting, you know, you know, right. before a show, we we used to have to bring in a lighting guy and they would change all the gels and do everything like that. And it would take two or three days sometimes. And, uh, you know, now with the LED lights, it's the press of a button. Do you know what I mean? And, wow. and the colors change yeah. and the, everything changes and, and you still have to focus them. But, you know, so I guess my point is that when you talk about the technical stuff like that, it was so interesting. It would be so interesting to know how they did some of those workarounds or how they came up with those those ideas. Yeah, because it's so it's so much easier now with a computer, right? And you just putting filters in and whatever. But it's just just a thought that I had when you brought that up. And I don't know how they did it, mm-hmm. but interesting how those things happen. And I would assume that some of it's an accident. Like I know I've been editing uh audio dramas and I made a mistake and I was like, Oh yeah, but that sounds kind of good. I wonder what I did. You know? <laughs> hell yeah. Yeah. Yep. I said, hell yeah. Sometimes some of the best stuff is found. Yeah. I don't think I can recreate that, but I, it was cool. You know, I, but uh, so anyway, that's just my thought on the technical stuff. I, I thought technically this was kind of streamlined because it was, it was live and as opposed to something that was done in studio and, really finished up but i i loved like lothar said in the beginning i loved the fact that the audience was there you know laughing and reacting uh, to what was mm-hmm. going on it was it was odd I, I liked it and at the same time it made it less hard-boiled and less noir for me because well that's true that's well we got point. a laugh yeah. track it's a live laugh track but it's still you know ha, ha, ha. yeah well, that's a good point um, yeah but it was interesting I, and and lux is always interesting that way and the only thing that annoys me sometimes is when they Walk a little bit off mic, and the volume drops yeah, that's down. Not good. Mm-hmm. Which happened yeah, a number of times. Bunch in, of times, in this one, and, but right. And that thing I was talking about was that that kind of, I don't know what you call it. It was a fade out, like between scenes, and the voices would go down. And mm-hmm. I'm like going, okay, yep. I missed like the last three words there, you know. And I'm listening on good headphones and and like that. So it's it's kind of I understand what they were doing is they were kind of make a trying to make a transition, but. I, I didn't think that was maybe right. the most effective way to do it. Yeah. The the, the sound guy could have waited yeah. another second or two before he faded yeah. out. You almost have to overwrite those things too. Like uh, I remember um, bringing up baby as people already know is one of my favorite comedies. And if you actually looked at the script, the script is like twice the size of a regular script. Uh-huh. And the reason is, is they add in stuff in between the lines at the beginning and the end because they're constantly interrupting each other and they don't want to lose what people are actually trying to say. Uh. So they'll start off with like, but but I don't know why, you know, and then they'll go say what the thing they're supposed to say so they can interrupt for things that don't matter. Right. <laughs> so it's cleverly done that way. But wow, uh, the amount of work you have to put to, to do something like oh, that. Kind of like the stage play uh, Bomb and Gilead, which is um, one of my favorites. Play. But there's oh, like God. what there's I mean, there's times where there's like four conversations going on oh, at the yeah. same time. And if the director does everything right, certain things will come to the forefront in each conversation to play off each other, and then they fade back again. And it's like, that's live theater. That's incredible. I have never yeah, seen that. that. I'll have to look for that. I love that play so much. And in the right hands, 
it's a masterpiece. And like you said, Lothar, in, yep. in the wrong hands, it's you, it's indistinguishable. And they did it at yeah. my college. Another, another one of the professors directed it at college and, and I, I didn't even know the show. I went and I saw it and I was just blown away. I thought she did such an amazing job. Because you're right, there's all you know the people at the different tables and then they're in the cafe you know, the cafe there, the diner, yep. you know, and, and out in the street and all that stuff's going on and, and just um takes a real good hand as a director, I think, to and an actor to do that show. Absolutely. Uh, and if it's not noir, it's definitely noir adjacent because it deals oh, with sure. similar themes yeah. and, and definitely down and out characters. So yeah, Bomb and Gilead. Everybody, go check it out. Yeah. Bomb and Gilead. Yeah. By, by the libretto, if you can't, um, you know, actually uh, see the performance. There you go. I just want to talk about some of the ancillary other characters, some of the actresses, like actors and actresses. So Claire Trevor played Helen, right? Yes. Yeah. She's a, a well-known actress. Do you know where I had originally seen her? She got top billing ahead of somebody that everybody knows in Ford's Stagecoach. Oh, really? Oh, I didn't know that. And that was John Wayne's first film, right? As right. the Ringo yeah. Kid. And she played Dallas in that. So wow. that's kind of cool. She had like a huge role for that. And then she she had been in a number of suspenses, including The Light Switch and The Plan and, and Hollywood Star Playhouse and a couple of other shows like that. But she was really well known in a ton of stuff. I think she has like at least 60 feature film credits from 33 to 90 to 82. She lived until she was 90. So she got a chance to do a lot of stuff. One best supporting actress for Key Largo in 48. Well, she did a great job in this. Oh yeah. Oh God. Yeah. 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 I thought so too. I thought it it was just fascinating when I started looking up on all this stuff kind of thing. And then older actors like that, they end up in their last part of their years in things like murder. She wrote and the love boat. And exactly. They start off with these like killing Alfred Hitchcock presents and stuff like that. And then, and then the other person, well, I mean, Doris Singleton, I wanted to mention as well, just because I remember her from, I love Lucy. She was in a ton of those shows. I think she, she met Lucille ball and my favorite husband in the radio show. No kidding. What did she play? In and the I Love Lucy, she played Carolyn Appleby in about 10 different episodes. So they became good friends. And what's she play in this show? In this show? Good question. Because these are just oh, small okay. credits, so I'm That's not sure. That's what I was, yeah, I can, I'm trying it's to think of another It's the same thing that I have part. with, like, Gerald Moore. I don't know what he was specifically because yeah. he is so, his voice is everywhere. I, I don't remember another female character besides Anne and Helen. Yep. Yeah, I'm trying to think. There was the yep. woman at the bar that Moose bothered. Oh, know, right, yeah. I wonder if that yeah. was her. I found all the credits on this one's uh, bestoldtimeradio.com, and it says Dick Powell, Claire Trevor, Mike Mazurki, June Dupree. They spelled it Duprex well, but anyway. Cy Kendall, Gerald Moore, Robert Regent, Norman Field, Eddie Marr, and Doris Singleton. So they brought in a lot of people to play different hmm. stuff. I'm not surprised they brought in Gerald Moore. I mean, Gerald Moore oh, yeah. has been in 500 different radio plays, uh, more than 500 radio plays, and 100 television shows. I had to laugh. Do you know what he played? Like, one of his last roles was? No. Hmm. In, like, the 1960s Fantastic Four cartoon as Reed oh, Richards. Oh, jeez. Oh, my God. <laughs> it was a terrible cartoon, but I, re- I was looking that up, and I went, wow, I can't believe he even got into there. So I have to give Mike Mazurki major props, because Moose Malloy, when you first read him in the novel, he is such a weird character. Uh-huh. And 
you don't really, I mean, I, I didn't really know what sort of voice in my head I was even getting with him. And Mazurki does it perfectly. because like, that is the perfect interpretation of Moose. Oh, yeah. And now, ever, ever since watching the movie originally and then the radio show, but any anytime I've read the novel, which I think I've read now four times, now I hear it with his voice because it is better than, it, it's like that was a perfect read of, that's the character. Okay, that's how I'm going to p- portray it. Wow. Yeah, it's I mean, what kind of like adjective you, would it's like I can't even like describe how he does it. It's like I don't think there's an adjective yeah. that really encompasses it. No. Yeah. It was kind of like when you heard his voice, you could picture the character right away. Absolutely. Sure. You know, I you, you just knew. And he did it with I don't know, I, I don't know if that's the right word, but there was just so much, I don't know if it's pathos or what in his the way he played that part. And he's like I, I just want to talk to Velma, yeah. you know, and, and well, Velma's dead. It wasn't a stereotype. Like, no. you know, you could go totally stereotypically broad humor with a character like that if you're not careful. Yep. Yeah. And he didn't. And it was great. And you ha- I don't know. I just had so much sympathy for him because because it was just or empathy or whatever the word is, you know, just because it was, you know, he just I mean, it's been eight years. Right. And like you said, Lothar, when he when mm-hmm. he goes to the bar. Right. And. He can't get over the fact that, well, there used to be a stage and there was dancing, whatever he says. Yep. You know, and he says that a couple of times, right? And, and it's just like, everything's changed and, you know, they have to know Velma. And, and I think, what does he say? Too much too much gin's gone by or something like that. You know, nobody knows her here. And and um, right. so I think you're right about the past. And, and, and he was just such a, like, the character, you know, and he gets killed in the end. Um you know, it's just, uh, it's just, yeah. You know, it's just, it's yeah. sad. It's, yeah. And it, it's fun because he gets killed because he gets in the way. He's just in the way. <laughs> <laughs> Metaphorically speaking, right? And almost directly in the same way. It's sort of like it's trying to remove an obstacle from her past so she can be who she is. Oh, I see. Yeah. Okay. It, yeah. He's very, very tragic in the, in the novel in a way because he is sort of the epitome of that. Like, what do you mean my world has changed? I don't right. get it. Yeah. Everything is different. Nothing makes sense to me. You know, it's like you step into the joint and you come out however many years later. Later and well, no, the world did not stop for you. Right. And then at the end in the novel, when Velma kills him, as opposed to in the radio show, when he's wrestling with Grail and they end up shooting each other somehow, which yeah. is just weird. But, yeah, that was weird. But yeah, it's yeah. like, wow, you've done this whole quest and now Velma shoots you. Great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if you are stuck in that past, there's no place for you in the now. Right. And the now ain't so good. No, it ain't. <laughs> you know? No. I mean, it's just, I think that's. You know, that's part of it. You guys know a lot more about noir and hard-boiled than I do. But, but you know, it just it just seems to me like it's it's everybody's angry with each other. You know, that I guess it's a trope, but, you know, the, the cop doesn't like the detective. And they're, all, you know, they have that kind of angry banter back and forth. Then he does them a solid at the end, you know, type of thing. It's like just everybody's like unhappy and angry and unsatisfied and all this stuff. There's no trust in any noir, with the exception of the people who have passed on. Those are the people that you remember trusting, you know, like Maltese Falcon, you know, the Sam Spade's partner. Everything hinges on the trust that he had about a guy he didn't even like that's passed. And who couldn't trust him at all. Right. Oh, no way. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It didn't. He couldn't. He <laughs> just didn't like. The sorry guy for at cuckolding all. you, buddy. You know. Yeah, he's screwing his wife. Yeah, right. Exactly. You know, I mean, it's like, but yeah, yeah. So I think you're right. The whole trust yeah. thing, and 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 I think there's also a 
there also seems to be a especially for the detective this kind of solitary lonely the future is nothing type of thing that's what i always say and you can you guys can disagree with me there if, if i'm wrong but that's just the way it always seems with with these guys it's like i'm just existing in this moment and it kind of sucks and and uh I'm just doing well, what again. I have they're to in. Do. They're in. They're in between those two worlds, right? You've got the if noir means you know dark or black. Right. Um, you know we've got the light world as well, and that's where your average people who are happy live. Okay. Mm-hmm. You know that's and so his role. There's almost like a classic shamanic role that he's playing, which is I'm going to be the outsider who's marginalized, living on those liminal thresholds between the worlds, protecting the community that I'm a part of from these dangers from the outside. And you've got right. a little bit of that in that role. And that role is usually never going to be the one that gets, uh, you know, the 2.5 kids and the picket fence and whatever, you know, stereotype of, of happiness right. yeah. in, a, in a standard status quo sort of way you're going to get. So the only way they're going to do it is when they go, I've done enough and I'm quitting. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Or die because they're, they're con- it's almost like you're, you know, You've chosen up a vocation to where you're always going to be on that front line. Right. And even though this has, you know, kind of a happy ending in some ways, do you really think that Anne and and Marlowe are going to have any kind of relationship with each other? Oh, God, no. No. You know what I mean? So there's, so there's, there's that piece of it too. It's like, it's like, yeah, it it seems to me like there's a lot just in the present moment. Okay. I'm going to have a drink with this lady and whatever. And and then, uh, you know. But it ain't gonna last. You, know, you ain't gonna like me, you know, type of thing. Yeah, I can imagine them like going on a boat trip together, and then she either doesn't show up or disappears halfway through, and just leaves him a note saying, "This ain't gonna work." Yeah, uh, yeah, something <laughs> like that. <laughs> you know, all excited about a brand new life, and then just deciding, nah. It's kind of like the Mrs. Robinson thing, right? <laughs> you know, like at the end of that movie, I watched it recently, and it's just like neither one of them are happy. They're sitting in the bus going. What the hell did we just do? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a good you one. Mean, the, the graduate. Yeah, the, the, gra- talking, yeah, that's the graduate. graduate. Yeah. yeah, well, that was uh, yeah. That whole time period was so great because you know up until Rocky, you know that whole new Hollywood period, there were no happy endings. That was kind of the right. whole point. And you know these are movies that were able to get major budgets and won Oscars and everybody loved it. And then then we got addicted to happy endings. Yeah. yeah. So it's like I was watching. Uh, it's a Bradley Cooper film I like a lot. It's called Burnt. And he plays this mm, chef, mm-hmm. and 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 he's an asshole, and and uh, so he's walking into this opening of a restaurant with this woman who works for him, and she goes, uh, he goes, pretend you're my girlfriend, okay, like that. And she's like, well, if I was your girlfriend, you'd take me by the arm. And he goes, no, if you were my girlfriend, we would have gotten in a fight in the cabin. We wouldn't be talking right now. <laughs> you know what I mean? And and, and, uh, and so it seems to me like it's the same thing. Like it's never gonna work. You know, they may be together right. at the very end of the movie and, you know, my romantic heart might go, oh, it's so nice. But it, really, you know that, you know, he's going to be alone. And um, yeah. speaking of Bradley Cooper, have you guys seen the the new Nightmare Alley by Guillermo del Toro with him in it? No, but I heard it's amazing. No. It is absolutely spectacular. It is one of the best neo-noirs in decades. Um, it is absolutely oh, wow. true to the novel, uh-huh. uh, which the original one, um, the original movie uh, with Tyrone Powers, I think, um, is not. It's it's still a good movie, but it's very, very different. This is not a remake of that movie. It is a re-adaptation of the novel. And 
the color schemes do with color what the Chiroscuro directors did with black and white. Oh, um, yeah. It is absolutely spectacular. One of my favorites. And very, very yeah. dark. And Kate Blanchett is amazing. Thank and Bradley cool. Cooper, probably the best role he's ever done. I'll, I wow. got to watch okay. it because it's... Well, we'll see if we can find you know, that. You just made my heart sing when you said Chiroscuro, you know, lighting, you know, I, I think about those old, you know, cabinet of Dr. Caligari and... Oh, yeah. You know, For where sure. they're doing all yeah. that with the lighting and that that gorgeous. Well, that's because a lot of remember a lot of those German expressionist film directors emigrated and started working in what would become film noir. So it was exactly the same people or their or their students doing it. Oh, right? that's a good point. I, I think of that. Yeah. I love when I just show Twilight Zones to my students and then I show them some of the modern ones. and They're like, I like the black and white ones better, Mr. Ward. They kind of have <laughs> more of a feel of creepiness. And I'm like, yep. Yep. Yeah. They did. Well, there's a you know when you start talking about the black and white I know we're getting off topic but I just read uh, Mel Brooks book about his life he was talking about how when they were doing uh, Young Frankenstein he was had to fight with them to make it in black and white right and he's like no this movie has to be in black and white yep they go no nobody's gonna want to watch it he goes no you don't understand he goes you know and and so <laughs> he finally won that battle and of course it's it's classic comedy it's classic. you know uh, but it's yeah. It's For so sure. true to the, you know, the part, but it's just, uh, it's interesting. Or you watch something like, I don't know, I watch Seven Samurai every other month, I think, and um, and all the, all the uh, nice. Kurosawa <laughs> movies, because I love them so much. And and I just thought black and white is just so gorgeous and that he uses. And, yeah. Um, you know, I, I, yep. I can't see it. If they somebody colorized it, I, I would never watch it, because it's just, uh, you know, it's the black and white is so beautiful. <sighs> The terrible colorization they did back in the day, where they would colorize like Casablanca with all these pastels oh, and everything, all, all, just all like, the oh all the Turner God. all the Turner oh, crap, yeah. yeah, awful, yeah, yeah, awful. yeah, that was terrible. Awful. Yeah. I'm glad they got rid of that. <laughs> all right, folks, sounds like we're rolling up the the the, the carpets here and, and ready to turn out the lights. Any last thoughts specifically on Murder My Sweet? I just I'm gonna say it again. I, I loved it. I, I just thought it was it was fabulous and. And I love the fact that in this case, it was just a little bit lighter because it's different. You know, it shows that you can, there's a continuum. They don't all have to be the same way. And, and I like the Marlowe character anyway. And, and uh, you know, the whole L.A. vibe that's going on. And, and I think it's it was fantastic. So thanks for uh, bringing it. Cool. Jack, great choice. Thank you. Lothar. Um, I echo what, what Jeff said. I mean, despite my comments about the, the changes from the novel, it was like saying, okay, yeah, I would have preferred to keep that in there, but that doesn't mean that I disliked it or that I thought it was a bad adaptation. I thought it was really well done. I liked Dick Powell. I liked seeing Marlowe through a slightly different interpretation and lens, a little lighter one. I thought that was a lot of fun. I thought it was a great show and a lot of fun. Thank you. And I, I think that Marlowe does a good job of adapting to radio because his dialogue is so great. Oh, yeah. It makes for very easy listening for those aspects as well. And the way that he works characters and, and the conflicts between characters works really well in this medium. And so that's great. I know that that's my last kick of the can for Christopher Marlowe. I'm going to try and stretch outwards for something else. But <laughs> I think are you're up next, are you, Lothar? Yes, I am. And um, the last four episodes, including this one, this is our fourth episode for the season, you know, has all been either hard-boiled detectives or at least hard-boiled language with double indemnity. So I'm going to switch over to the non-hard-boiled and go to what I've been threatening for a long time, Cornell Woolrich. And um, I, I've got two that I definitely want to bring because um, there's a ton of them. 
uh, but there's two that I want to bring up this season, and I just need to decide whether I want to do Suspense, The White Rose Murders, which has Lucille Ball, or Sweet. Escape, Finger of Doom. So I'll be listening to both of those in the next week or so, and then I'll let you guys know for our next one. Ooh. I don't know either of those, so I'm That's exciting. Right. It'll be one of those two, but it'll definitely be Cornell Woolrich. Exciting. <laughs> And just for those people who haven't heard, I just released our last Sonic Speaks with Lothar and myself in proximity, talking to each other. That was a lot of fun. And so you can, it's now late on the feed, but you'll be able to go back and listen to it if you've missed it. So make sure you do. That was a lot of fun. And I'm looking forward to getting this one out as soon as I can, because it's been way too long. We have lots of people asking about, are you guys still going to make those? (laughs) (laughs) That's right. Yes. And we will be back to it. We've all just been really busy. Do we want to say a little bit about what what we've all been doing or is there any point to yeah. that i know J- jack no, you're, you've got you've been working on your master's degree man yeah that's my my major thing is i've been working on my master's degree wow this meditative study course has been just really fascinating meditative inquiry it's my most recent one and indigenous literature both of them have been really very cool i was really hoping that tom king would let me interview him he's for those people who don't know he's from the dead dog cafe and, and written a number of books he's a very famous Canadian author and broadcaster. And he said, no, but he's like 79 years old and I don't blame him whatsoever for <laughs> that. But I, I have the email. Somebody said, uh, my prof said, well, at least you've got the emails. You know, you could frame that. I said, yeah, I know, but that's, that's good. So I'm hoping that things will slow down a bit for me so I can get back to writing. Cause I'm really chomping at the bit to get some stuff done. I know I've been really missing you guys me too. and I've been really missing us getting together and, and working on temple of vampires. Mm-hmm. And so I hope we can do that too. I'd like to get back to once a month with stuff if possible. So that's, that's what I have to say. That would be great. Jeff, what about you? Oh, I've just been, uh, you know, now that I'm retired, you know, it's kind of a nice feeling. Lucky. I know, huh? I know, huh? Jeez. You know, it's kind of like, I've been just kind of doing different stuff and just experimenting. And, you know, I've been... Having fun. Um, I've uh, my latest thing is being a chef, and and uh, that's been a lot of fun and learning how to do that and coming up with creative meals and things like that. So that's that's fun and and trying to be. I, I've kind of been trying to be a little more there for my family and my kids, and which I haven't always been in my life because I spent thirty something years working seventy hours a week. But so I've just been trying to do that and and. Uh, so it's it's been fun. Been doing a lot of writing in terms of uh, you know RPG, tabletop RPGs and and uh, like that because that's a passion of mine in doing that. So that's been a lot of fun and and I haven't been doing a lot of uh, audio drama. So well, I, I've you're got missed. Some... I want that space oh, show back. What's that? Yeah, I'll start recording that. There's the space show. I forget what. It's oh, called. my what space show. I yeah. I um. I know that's that's pretty much done. I just have to figure out how to, how to end it. I think it ended up being nine installments, uh, which nice. was kind of funny because when I wrote it, it was a one-off, kind of in a <laughs> like a. I'm sure that's happened to you guys, right? I mean, it was a one-off. It was kind of like you know, like um, what's those ones we always do? The science fiction shows that we always do for the summer. X, X minus, minus one, 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 one. Yeah, one. like Lothar's great introduction. <laughs> and um, yes, and it was just a, like a one-off for X minus one. And then I got to the end and I said, 
wow, there's there's more stories to tell with these people, and I like the characters. And and when I was writing the characters, I was thinking of you and and Lothar, right, as those characters. I mean, that was it was you guys, you know, and 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 well, we got to go and record Pete those too. as the. You know, the guy that, who's one of my favorite characters, the guy that Pete Lutz is going to play is one of my favorite characters in the whole thing. And I just ended up being nine, uh, eight or nine episodes, and I just have to finish the ending of it. And then, uh, well, then we'll be good to go. Because that's been a lot. Of, I know the host of Wednesday Wonders, and I'm sure he would love to have to host that on him. <laughs> oh, really? Oh, I heard, I've heard of that guy. Yeah. <laughs> Released yeah. now on Wednesday Wonders and on Thursday Thrillers, that Mystic Western of yours could continue as well. I remember you were oh, yeah. you had some really good ideas. In yeah, that. that's ex- cool. that, that's. A, I mean, I've got just like you guys. I'm sure that that I've got the Renforce that one, the space one, and I've got the Mystic Cowboy one. I've got Renforce, like four things it, yeah. done on that one. And, and um, yep, the other one I did was the it like takes place in Egypt. So I I've got about eight episodes of that done so i'm sure just like you guys you have all these scripts and there's like a tons of scripts and it's just uh it's just a question of getting them done and then because it takes me forever to edit them so i'm kind of slow and deliberate but yeah i have all this stuff and i don't know if it's any good but it's it's it works for me you know so oh i love it you know. i love it and that's awesome i kind of want to do and i'm, I'm sorry no, jumping in here but one of the things i really want to do when things slow down for me is i want to sort of boost up what i've been calling mutual stage and do like feature length like i mean two hour length plays oh, yeah. on oh, God, stage yeah. that are original or original adaptations of something and each of us take a turn at doing something and so they can be contemporary, they can be classical, they can be whatever. But I wanted to do it in the same style as things like Lux Theater and, and First Nighter and that, where we would actually have the main actors come in after we record and after we do the show and talk to the audience and joke around a little bit and, and just have that kind of vibe of like a live radio sh- oh, show that, that way, a live radio. Oh, that'd be fun. Thing. That'd be fun. Yeah. Pete's jumping on top of that one as well. He's got, he wants to start that off. Of course he's of course the, he the madman of, of radio right now. He's been writing like crazy tons of stuff. So, oh, and of course, let's not forget Sonic Summerstock already. Uh, Rachel Rumler has like, six or four or something like that that she's going to have for this summer so so many stuff coming out for that too now lothar back to you sorry about that oh um been really busy with uh well day jobs at a hospital in the years of the virus have been crazy um but other other than that um been doing a lot with a screaming eye press that mark slade and chauncey haworth and i started a almost two years ago Mm -hmm. now and uh, I just finished editing issue 17 of Twisted Pulp magazine, and that'll be coming out in the next couple of weeks. And Sweet. we have two volumes of stories of bad luck in the style of Jim Thompson that um, I edited and contributed stories to that is called Born Under a Bad Sign, volumes one and two, which are available mm-hmm. on Amazon in um, Kindle, paperback, and hardback. I have the hardback. We have a uh, comic book called Screaming Eye Press Presents that is a anthology of comic books by um, three or four of us. And that was cool to finally have a comic script of mine in print. That's been an old long-time dream. And um, I am finally starting to get back on writing The Degasian. I think I can finally 
move forward with that. And um, that's going to take me forever to write because I want to write all the scripts, have it all really tie up very well, and then I'll put it back into production again. So hopefully we'll all still be alive when I'm done with that. And then, of course, there's uh, awesome. She-Wolves. <clears throat> but anyway. Yes, exactly. I've also got to finish Promised Land. <laughs> Do you have a date for Promised Land? Because I know you've oh, been working on that one. No, no, I don't. Oh. No. That's yeah. the best. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to have it on tape here so that people no, knew. No, no, I, I, I will tell Hold you on. what the I will tell you what the date is after it airs. <laughs> oh, okay, fair enough. June third, you heard it here. <laughs> no, I'm just I, kidding. I'm I can't kidding. tell you how many times I've listened to those. You know the little the little uh, backstory ones you put those out demos and, uh, that I've sent off. I've listened yeah. to those so many times. I just think it's just brilliant, brilliant. Brilliant. I just heard Bill, by the way, because I know this is all about Bill. I just heard Bill on one of the Sonic Summerstocks that I forgot he was in. So it was Arsenic and Old Lace. But Bill had a role in it. Did he it was really? just a small role, but he had it. And so it's, the, yeah, it's on Monday matinee. So go check oh, cool. Sonic reruns for that. So Nice. Yeah, good stuff. There's lots of really cool yep. stuff oh, going people on. People are doing great stuff. Thank you so much, oh. brothers. Yeah, really, thank you. Really appreciate the chat and the longer version because we're just getting back into this. And uh, I'd love to say that we're going to be having one next month, but it will depend upon what Lothar finds. Yes, and I will try and uh, make an isolation of what I'm going to do this week, and then let's see if we can keep this going. Sounds yeah, great. Yeah, it means I got to look for one now. Okay. <laughs> Takes me forever. Yep, exactly. If it was sci-fi, I'd pick them up like this. But the, I'm not familiar with the yeah. noir stuff. So much, so I gotta just listen to a million of them. Yeah, that's the trick. Like that. What a shame! A lot of chance yeah. to listen to things. Yeah, I know it's hard, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah, I know. I know. No, no, I feel for it's you. Tough life, man. It's tough life. Thanks again, everybody, for listening. Thank you, brother Lothar. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you, brother Jeff. And you're welcome, sir. Thank you very much. Thank you. We will be right back as soon as we possibly can. This is Sonic Echo. I'm Jack Ward. Have a great night, night. everyone. Adios, amigos. This has been an Electric Vicuna production. Right. Sergeant Brooks. Still nothing. Looks like the Mogul has really escaped us, Pat. Yeah. yeah, he's taking it on the lamb, all right. What did you say, Junior? I said he's taking it on the lamb. Now, where did you pick that up? What? The phrase, take it on the lamb. Oh, I don't know, Dick. I. Oh, yes, I do. I heard Wacky Moran say it once. I see. Well, I don't want you to say it again, Junior. Why not, Dick? Because it's slang, Junior. Slang of a kind that shouldn't be used by anyone, especially a boy like yourself. Well, Dick, I, I don't see anything wrong with slang. I don't do anybody harm when I say it. Take it on the lamb. Oh, I... yes, you do. Yes, you do, Junior. You do a great deal of harm to yourself. Well, I don't understand, Dick. Well, I'll try to explain, Junior. Now, now I'm not going to go into the technical definition of slang, but for our purposes, we might say that slang, the kind of slang you just used, is the language of the gutter. 
It's the language used by people who have no education, no no background, just like Blackie Moran and his gang. After all, until people get to know you well, they judge you by what you say and how you say it. Oh, gee, I, I never thought of it that way, Dick. Well, I wish you would, Junior, because it's very important. You see, slang is the mark of a lazy brain. Oh, gee, Dick, I've heard other kids use slang words and things. I know you have, and that's because they don't listen to their parents and their teachers. Parents and teachers object to slang because they know how great a handicap it is in life. Because it's not only unpleasant to hear, but gives people the idea that a boy is a hoodlum, a roughneck. And that may not be true at all. Boys like you may have picked up a slang expression and failed to realize how wrong it was to use it. I see. Well, I'm sorry, Dick. Don't be sorry, Junior. Just just make a firm resolve not to use slang again. Whenever you're tempted to use slang, always stop and try to think of another way of expressing yourself. The truth of the matter is, you know, that as a member in good standing of the Dick Tracy Secret Service Patrol, you have to know how to express yourself clearly, concisely, and forcefully. There's only one way to do that, by precise English. Never by the use of slang. Excuse me a moment. Sure. The Mutual Audio Network. Listening and imagining together.